When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is Young Lion King Carl Fredericks, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcast on the social suplex podcast network jeremy donovan here with the young boy josh smith on today's show, we'll discuss best of the Super Junior 29, nights 8 through 12, and cover all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, there was a weekend full of professional wrestling, super juniors, double or nothing. There was rampages. There were special darks. I'm sure there was some stardom stuff and Everything going down in the wrestling world, man. So much to keep up. Yeah, with. but you know what I always say: if you're not Shinihan, you can fuck off. That's what that's what I always say. Okay, you know, women's wrestling, psh, American wrestling. Psh, I don't give a fuck about Big Bicep Tony. You know, I don't care. I just want to see these, you know, 
these hard hits and these flying, you know, juniors. <laughs> AEW doesn't have juniors, bro. Uh, How am I supposed to get into them? They don't got juniors. They, they got Ray Phoenix. Yeah. In the open weight division. Listen, only the only brand of New Japan that I watch that has an open weight brand is New Japan Strong. Okay? That's it. <laughs> I'm not gonna sit here and pull around and you know play make believe. Juniors are juniors, heavyweights are heavyweights. Women should be wrestling on the show. You know, let's get it straight. I, I'm surprised they're even doing an open door. You know, man, it's weird. Start starting off hot today, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking about all that. But uh, yeah, I, I, there was a lot of wrestling this weekend, and uh, even today. <laughs> You know, just a couple hours, you know, 12 hours ago, just before the show started, there was a block final. So, I mean, there's a lot, a lot, a lot. And uh, most of it was good. Some of it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, not, not, not talking about New Japan, that is. Some of the wrestling that occurred this weekend wasn't so great. Most of it was great. You know, a lot to cover, though. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you know, listening to uh, Voice of Wrestling flagship, our friends uh, Joe and Rich over there, and they, they always talk about, you know, sometimes when they watch shows that there will always be something, like an embarrassing moment that happens when their wives come in or, like, a family or friend walks in. Have you ever had one of these moments where you're, you're watching wrestling and somebody comes in, non-wrestling fan, and it's, like, the most cringe thing at that time happening on the screen? Yes, and there's two that come to mind, and they both involve the New Day. Um, one, I was living in um, New Jersey, and I was with a, a living with a bunch of guys. We were like doing sales jobs, you know. So they they, they paid for our housing, so I was like bunked up with a bunch of dudes. And this was the, the same Royal Rumble where AJ debuted. So 2016, uh, January, 20, yeah. 2017. Or no, wait, yeah, yeah, 20, so. yeah, twenty sixteen, yeah, you're right, yeah, twenty sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point, the new day came out, and you know they're gyrating and you know throwing pancakes and all this stuff, and I'm like sitting there kind of laughing, and I'm there with like three of my boys, and they're all black, and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> and I was like, "It's wrestling." They're like, "Bro, this is racist." And then I sat down and thought about it for a second. They're like, "Why they got these three brothers?" all like dancing and tossing pancakes like why is this their role why can't they be like badasses and do something cool and i was like yeah i guess you're kind of right that is kind of <laughs> it's not a good look <laughs> the other time that involved the new day was when i was watching with uh family friends who were pretty conservative and we're watching the show it's like uh, money in the bank and they're liking it you know the the girls had the money in the bank, so all the girls are liking that the girls got to, like, do a ladder match or whatever. Then um, the New Day came out, and Biggie's like, W, W, E, and he's, like, doing the gyrate, and the family's like, this is getting turned off right now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, geez. And they're like, bro, that's super inappropriate. There's, like, kids watching, and this, like, giant dude is, like, swinging his dick around. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. I never thought about it. This is kind of offensive. I, 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 I mean, he's doing some hip gyrations, but I mean, he wasn't, you know, the, the singlet was on. Uh, he wasn't exposed. Yeah. Oh, he's exposed, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's been a few times, and those are just two that come to mind. I'm sure there's been plenty of others. 
Yeah, I think for me, the most recent thing, when uh, my parents were temporarily uh, still living here, um, was watching Stardom. And I'm in my room, and you just hear, like, you know, a bunch of Japanese women just, like, screaming and yelling. Screaming. (laughs) Of course, like, Grandma walks by, she's like, what are you watching? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I had a conversation with a girlfriend one time. She was like, well, maybe I should watch Japanese. I like Japanese wrestling. Maybe I should watch Japanese women's wrestling, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. But then, like, she saw Maki Ito, and she's like, this is kind of fucked up. It's like a grown woman dressed like a little girl and, like, rolling around and crying like a baby. This is kind of fucked up. And I was like, it's not all like that. That's just <laughs> one. Trust me. Then, like, Riho comes out, and she's like, yo, you know, she's dressed up in, like, Lolita fashion. That's not really cool. And I was like, trust me, it's not all like that. But then, like, that uh, that tournament, the, um, the AEW tournament where they had the, the women from overseas, and there were, like, several things where she's like, these are not good gimmicks. These are gimmicks that are, like, all, like, fan service for guys. And I was like, we got to watch Stardom. We got to watch these are just the slums. Don't, don't worry about Tokyo Joshi Pro and, you know, Wave. And all. Don't, don't worry about it. Never mind all that. <laughs> and I've, I haven't really gotten her to come around to checking out stardom. So, <laughs> like, in her, in her mind, she thinks that, like, Joshi is a perverted thing. She's like, it's just a bunch of, like, young girls being ogled by men. And I'm like, she's like, look at that crowd. It's all dudes. She's like, there's no girls in the crowd. She's like, and I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's not all like this. <laughs> it's not what it looks like. It's not uh, what it looks like. You need to get her hooked up on, on One Nation Radio. Tell her to hit the music. Listen to Dr. Joshi. Have, have her walk her through everything. Nah, I can't do that. <laughs> Maybe I should show her some crush gals. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Well. This is a weird start to the show. It, it is. You know, try, trying to mix it up. Uh do some uh, new new openings, you know. Yeah, let's talk about the wrestling. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do have a lot to cover. We did have uh, five uh, super juniors this uh, past week, and essentially the tournament's pretty much over now. We have our finals. We have our A block winner. We have our B block winner. Big final set for Friday. So uh, similar to last week, we'll we'll take a look at the the blocks here. And uh, talk about each competitor, talk about who the finalists are, and kind of what we're thinking about the finals coming up. Now, do you think we should start from the bottom of the blocks and work our way up this time, or should we stick with starting with the top? Why don't we start from the bottom and work our way to the top like it's Mortal Kombat, you know? <laughs> All right, yeah. Let's like, show will be like Sonya Blade. <laughs> you know, basically that. All right, let's do that. Uh, so we'll start off with the A block at the bottom of the block with six points. The only guy with six points, one half of the IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions, the funky weapon, Risque Gucci. six points, three wins, six losses. Night eight, he lost to show. On night nine, he lost to Alex Zane. On night 10, he defeated Yo. On night 11, he defeated Ace Austin. 
And then on the final night of tournament action, today's show, night 12, he lost to Yoshinobu Kanamaru just two minutes in 13 seconds. So, young boy, what are your kind of your final thoughts here on, on Taguchi? Um, you know, Taguchi started off the tournament saying that there'd be no butt stuff, and that was kind of an intriguing concept. Similar to the year where Yano was saying he was going to be fair play Yano and not cheat. Now, granted, he did end up cheating throughout that tournament, but almost every match, he was kind of leaning into this gimmick where he's going to try and put forth a real effort. He's going to try and out grapple, out wrestle his his uh, competitors, and you know have a fair play of things. Um, the whole no butt stuff with Taguchi went out the window as soon as the tournament started and it never let up. I mean, that was basically the overarching story of his entire run was when is he going to pull his pants down and put his butt in somebody's face, which like, I mean, that was cool for, you know, Rikishi in 2000 or like 1999, but you know, that's 23 years ago. (laughs) And, um, I don't know, you know, Taguchi's, you know, he's a comedy guy, he's older. I think the point total is probably appropriate, especially considering how uh, stacked the field was, but we didn't really get a single classic or notable performance from Taguchi. There was no appearance of big match Taguchi, as they like to call him. And most of his antics, I didn't really find to be that humorous. I mean, uh, it, the match with show was a little creative where they did the the whole thing behind the curtain and stuff. And if you're really into that, you did that kind of comedy. Sure. And you know what? Maybe in a different context that might've landed for me, but because we were so inundated with all this, butt bullshit, it just was, if we weren't covering this tournament, I would have skipped most of his matches. Yeah. The Gucci, well, it, it was pretty rough watching um, a lot of his matches in this tournament. Like you mentioned, it was all around the butt stuff, which if you're a long time new Japan fan, you're probably thinking, well, that's usually what the Gucci's matches are, are all around, but it was like even more this time. And every match his pants is coming down. You're seeing his underwear. There are some matches where he was wearing thongs. Um, and then also going for the spot where, you know, he's doing the, the cradle pin and his butts in the guy's face. And like you mentioned, the whole, the whole show thing where he was essentially teabagging show uh, behind the curtain. And yeah, to me, this is, it just wasn't funny. You know, you had the whole the Clark Connors match where they kind of had like the, you know, Clark discovered that his, you know, butt was as strong as Taguchi's. And yeah, it, it was just, it, it just wasn't funny. To people who love comedy wrestling, who love Taguchi, they probably had a field day with this kind of stuff. But for me, I, I, it's, it's just, it just didn't land for me. Yeah, and I mean, um, that whole point you made about Ace Austin, talk about character development, you know, long-term storytelling, you know, strongest ass. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, with, with Taguchi, like you mentioned, he's the comedy guy, and there is a spot in this tournament for someone like that, and it, you know, I'm not begrudging them saying like oh I'll get this bullshit off my screen because I don't like comedy you know because Yano is usually somewhat inoffensive in the G1 it's just it was the same thing every night and it was just so much of it that it was like uh you know too much of a good thing is very often 
too much and that's kind of i'm not saying this was a good thing but like even if it even if you liked this kind of shtick which i think we did three years ago when it first started it's just kind of continued and continued and continued and now we're here and it's just too much like find a new avenue or a new angle some way to be funny and creative like you can be the night off guy that's fine if that's where you're at and you're in this stage of your career but I mean, Kanemaru was able to be the night off guy and like ruled in this tournament. And you know, usually like Tiger Mask is in this tournament. He's the night off guy, and he is awesome. So it's whatever. One last thing on Taguchi, he needs to go spend some money and buy some fucking new gear. Have you noticed that all his gear has holes on it? <laughs> yeah. And like, I keep wanting to bring it up, but it, he's so like it's such a non like subject. I keep forgetting. Even like the um, the stitching of like the funky weapon on the back of his like tights, a couple of them they're just like dangling and ripping off, and like he's literally got holes in in his gear. I'm like, bro, go fucking. You work for New Japan, bro. Like, <laughs> you can't afford to buy buy gear. Like, you know, kids and also, in... also his gear's a little tight. Like, got a little, yeah. little little tummy hanging over. It's just like, you know, kids in wrestling school can afford to go get some, like, starter gear. Like, you got money, dude. Go go buy gear, man. I don't know. Or maybe he's not getting paid as much as we think he is. You know, maybe, you know, Obari's holding back on, on Taguchi, and Taguchi needs to pull MJF and, you know, fight for a new contract. Who knows what's going on with that situation. <laughs> but uh, uh, my final grade on Taguchi for this year's tournament would be a D. Uh, yeah, D D minus. I I could I can go F if I wanted to. You you could you could. Yeah, I mean I'll go D. I'm gonna go D. Solid D. Yeah, uh, I've seen enough of Taguchi's uh bare cheeks uh for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the next guy here. Like you mentioned, uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Like you mentioned, he was a night off guy, but some pretty entertaining stuff here. The last stretch here, so he ended with eight points. Four wins and five losses. So on night eight, Kanemaru defeated Taiji Ishimori two minutes and seven seconds. On night nine, he lost to Clark Connors four minutes and 50 seconds. On night 10, he lost to Francisco Akira 10 minutes, 32 seconds. On night 11, he defeated Sho two minutes and 44 seconds. And then like we mentioned on night 12, he defeated Taguchi two minutes and 13 seconds. So Kanemaru coming out here, the heel master, you know, getting his high-speed action on and ending a lot of these matches in, in two minutes, two, three minutes. Yeah, I mean, from a kayfabe perspective, um, had he used more effective tactics, he could have really put himself in a very strong candidacy and position to be a player down the final stretch. Uh, it didn't work out that way, but I mean, you look at his economy of time and I mean, he was having sub five minute, sub three minute matches very often all throughout the tournament. He probably, I mean, I don't know the exact number, but I feel very confident that he had the least amount of ring time of anybody in the entire tournament. And, you know, a lot of that was due to the underhanded tactics he used, but you know, it wasn't the same thing every single night the way that it was with, like, Taguchi. Um, you know, generally, 
Kanemaru comes into these tournaments. He has a few really good showings, like the first couple nights of the tournament, that are akin to what we saw here. Then he starts eating losses, and then plays spoiler like down the road, like down to the tail end, which I think that did play out a little bit here, but his string of um, creative offense and creative like uh, you know ways to win that just kind of continued all throughout the matches, and he like you know they, there's that saying "live by the sword, die by the sword." Like he was trying to end people as quickly as possible. Sometimes it backfired, and he lost quickly himself. But, uh, I mean, I found him highly entertaining. I think this might be the most interesting he's been in a Super Juniors ever at this stage of his career, which is kind of crazy. So uh, I would take him over to Gucci at this point any day of the week. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I was super invested in Kanemaru's matches just because of this uh, pace he was keeping up. And, like, all right, you literally at this point, you're like, oh, man, like, is he going to pull the upset? Like, what's going to happen here? Because he mentioned he's going in there. He's doing all these different types of cradle attacks. He's doing these quick pins. It's like he had the gameplay. He's like, you know what? I, I don't need to, to go out there and wrestle, you, you know, 25-minute classic. Uh, I'm just trying to get hit, trying to get the dub, trying to get a quick win, and he would do that. And it was just super entertaining, these high-paced matchups. And it kind of kept at the edge of your seat because you never knew when the fall was going to come. And you, you look at the, yeah. Ishi, the Ishimori match um, that he had. You know, they're a long history of Ishimori. I think he only beat Katamaru once and – Kanemaru has pretty much beat him, I think, something like 14, 15 times and has had Ishimori's number. Yeah. And Ishimori has been very frustrated and really wanted to win that match. And Kanemaru got him out of there real quick. And then also uh, the show match was uh, very fun because I, I did not want to see show, you know, get more points and be alive going into the final night. And so I, I popped huge when uh, Kanemaru was able to uh, wrap him up and put him away with a, with a quick pin. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, four wins and five losses, but look at the guys he beat. I mean, Hiromu Takahashi, Sho, uh, Ishimori. Those are some of the biggest names in the tournament. He took them out swiftly. I mean, he kind of made Bull Club his bitch this year. <laughs> he sure did. And big win um, over the former ch- or the current champ, Ishimori. So if he wants, he, yeah. he can be in line for a title match down the line. Also, like we mentioned the last night, pinning Taguchi, who's one half of the junior tag team champ. So him and Despi right. or him and Doki could get a junior tag team title match going down the line. So Kanemaru doing uh, very well, even though it's you know the four and five record, uh, very well pinned a lot of very important people and had a lot of very entertaining matches. Yeah, and there's something with that Ishimori thing where like I kind of wish that they never would have given Ishimori that win during the New Japan Cup a, a couple years back because the story had been that every time they've ever wrestled, going back to Noah, but continued into New Japan, he always beats Ishimori. And, I mean, how awesome would that be right now if, like, even at this point, as the champion, he still is winless against this guy. Then, hypothetically, if you need, like, a get-by title defense, you know, with him being this interesting, Kanemaru could realistically... You know, um, I, I don't think that they're lining him up to be a title contender of any sort. But, I mean, if you wanted to, look again, look at those names. Sho, Hiromu, Ishimori. I mean, he didn't have to win the tournament. He, he, he's in a position where he beat enough guys, you know, beat the big, big enough names to potentially warrant a title shot. So, had they wanted to go that route, I mean, that's kind of on the table. It would have been better if 
he still was undefeated against Ishimori at this point. But, uh, you know, they kind of, you know, dropped the ball on that one. Right. I mean, we're not quite sure what the rest of the year looks like. There might be some smaller tours that, that come up where, hey, let's throw a, we got a Corkin show on a small tour. Let's throw a Kanemaru versus Ishimori title match on there just for the heck of it, you know? I We'll get to it, but I think whoever's winning this tournament's going to be Ishimori for the title. It would be ridiculous for them not to, basically. So Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know. So let's take a look at the next guy here also with eight. Oh, wait, we're not going to give him a rating? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, what's, what's your grade for uh, Kanemaru? You know, for Kanemaru, I'm going to go B minus. I think that's fair. I'll, I'll ride with you there, yeah. Solid B minus for uh, Mr. Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Yeah, and I'm grading on the Kanemaru, you know, curve. So, so it's not, you know, different guys will get different considerations. Yeah. So now let's talk about uh, one of my favorite guys in the tournament in this A block here, Francisco Akira coming in with eight points also, four wins and five losses. On night eight, he lost to Clark Connors. On night nine, he defeated Yo. Night 10, he defeated Kanemaru. Night 11, he lost to Taichi Ishimori. And then on the final night of action, night 12, he defeated the X Division champion, Ace Austin, by countout. Yeah, and, um, you know, one thing I really liked about that finish there, you know, um, sometimes the count can be seen, uh, especially by Western audiences, especially by modern fans, as being a sort of cheap or fluke victory. But there are many times in the past where a a guy got legit, quote-unquote, in kayfabe, legit knocked out on the outside of the ring and they couldn't come back in. And that was viewed as like a decisive victory. It didn't have it didn't matter that it didn't take place inside of the ring. It's kind of like that boxing logic where like if you punch a dude and he falls outside of the ring and is KO'd, that's still a KO. It doesn't matter like if he fell in or out of the ring. Um, and that was kind of the the um, psychology behind this match was like at the tail end of a, a really good you know ten minute match between. Ace Austin and Francesco Akira. Um, Ace Austin tried to attack Akira while he was on the apron. Akira dodged it, and while Ace Austin's back was turned to him, he hit him with that. Uh, what is his finishing move called? I know it's a meteor, but what does he call it? I think that's the fireball. Yeah, the fireball. So he hit he hits him with the fireball off of the apron to the to the back of his head and like just lays the guy out and then just runs back into the ring and at that point they were like at 18 or 19 and then he's counted out but then they also like basically they don't to- totally stretch or drop him but they have all the young boys like reviving him and carrying him out of there and he was like very much like out you know what i mean yeah and so for me like that was like man i mean it, it i think that's designed to make you wonder like what if he hit him with that inside the ring? He probably would have got the one, two, three. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought it was a very creative finish. And, um, again, gives Akira a strong win over a champion here. And post-match, he did grab the X Division title. And seems like he, he wants a shot at the X Division championship. We did hear the rumors that there might be a, a title match at Dominion. I also know that there's a Ultimate X match coming up, I believe, in Impact. Where there's, I believe, a couple open spots. So maybe Akira could go over to come to America 
and be in that ultimate X match, um, get his X division tile shot. We'll, we'll see how that plays out, but um, pretty uh, nice win there for Akira. And this is a guy I've really enjoyed all throughout this tournament. Uh, guy's just so fast, so intense, and um, you know, as a funny comparison, just kind of reminds me of like Scrappy Doo, like this little guy that's just talking all this crap, not afraid to uh, face whoever, and is just always talking crap and is always fighting. And going forward, so, you know, the whole match is just like either yelling in Italian or yelling English. And like, he, he, the perfect name is Fireball. This little like Spitfire guy that's just bouncing all over the place. And um, yeah, his Asai moonsaults every night were so beautiful. Um, great dives, great intensity, great strikes. Like, I'm really digging Akira. Yeah, I don't know if this was intentional or what the deal was, but like, it seemed like people were targeting his chest because he's so fair-skinned and, like, his reaction to chops is just, like, that he gets these huge, huge, like, welts and they, like, sometimes bleed. And it seemed like people were going out of their way to, like, really lay into him. And not, like, in a mean way, but, like, welcome to the big time, kid. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) Hold this. Uh, Almost, yeah, hold this. Almost like a rib or something. But, um, yeah, I thought Francesco Akira was very during this tournament um you mentioned that he reminds you of scrappy do for me he kind of reminds me a little bit of robbie eagles when he first came into the company in a certain sense you know robbie eagles was sort of like this uh guy that was brought into bullet club and maybe didn't quite fit that you know brand necessarily but that's where he got his start and you know there was kind of a built-in story for his eventual defection i think that there might be some similarities there with him and the united empire i don't know that he necessarily fits the brand of that group uh but if he ever did want to defect for whatever reason i mean it's kind of tailored built in right there um as far as his performances he was really impressive if i'm um you know management and i'm looking at this guy i see you know future junior like stalwart written all over him so you know i i he didn't at all come across as a uh, a guy that uh, was out of place or couldn't handle the pressure of like a main event or wrestling certain styles. Like he just kind of was very competent and very fiery, and you know got a lot of uh, support behind him. Um, last thing with him, we sort of anticipated, and you know I'll, I'll point out where we were wrong. I think we thought that he was coming in to sort of be like the established new dangerous face of the United Empire. I think maybe I sort of imagined him coming in for the first tournament the same way Ishimori did mm. a few years ago. Yeah. When he first debuted and being a guy that was really strong going down the, the tailpipe or the tailpipe, uh, the tail end of the tournament. Um, we were even calling a few weeks ago. We're like, oh, he's going to get on a roll and he's going to start winning all these matches and that's going to be his story. Well, we were wrong. He went four and five. And I think that this might be even an indicator that as of right now, he's probably the pin eater, quote unquote, between himself and say TJP, who, you know, is kind of a dojo system guy. You know what I mean? Right. And is pretty committed to them. So uh, he definitely has room to grow and, and breathe and, and build within this company. And I think he had a really great showing. Um, I don't know that 
I, the Hiromu match is probably the best match he had in the tournament. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there was like a real standout performance, but he never had a bad performance. He was like he was on every night of the tournament. Yeah, from this past week, I think the Ishimori match was probably um, his best match from between night eight and twelve. That was a really fun match. I was kind of pulling for him for that match because I wanted to see him uh, get a tile shot, but I'll see for the for the points to work. Ishimori. Had to get the win there, and I definitely agree with you on that um, assessment that you made about him potentially not really fitting in the United Empire. Like we mentioned last week, he's been wrestling as a kind of almost got underdog, very fire, and he's gotten the crowd over with his uh Kira uh Kira uh claps. Yeah, uh, so he's gotten over very quickly. The crowd loves clapping for him, um, and so he's this kind of fiery underdog bay face, which uh, really doesn't kind of fit that United Empire's kind of mold, you know, these kind of cocky, arrogant heels. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that story kind of plays out moving forward. But, yeah, I, I loved Akira in this tournament. What's, what's your grade for him? Um, For Akira, I would go B minus. Okay. Uh, I think I'm going to go I, B plus. Gotcha. Um, I think that there's still like a higher gear he could have kicked it into. And maybe part of that is just the way they uh, position him. Like I said, I thought he was really great. I'm not sure I'm quite as high on him right now as you are, but I see the potential down the line. You know, I think he really can be like, um, you know, a guy that is, uh, I don't know what the word is, like a franchise player. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's going to be a guy that we're, we're going to be talking about every Super Junior. He's going to be a guy we're going to see in great junior title matchups. I think him and TJP are going to be a great tag team, and we'll, we'll have a lot of fun with those guys challenging for junior tag titles. He's going to be a fun new addition to this roster. I'll kick it up to a B. It's okay. fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about the next guy here. Also at eight points with four wins and five losses, the Wild Rhino. Clark Connors from the L.A. Dojo on night eight. He defeated Francisco Akira on night nine. He defeated Yoshinobu Kanemaru on night 10. He lost to Taiji Ishimori. Night 11, he lost to Hiromu Takahashi. And then on night 12, he defeated the sauce, Alex Zane. Yeah, so, I mean, some of the early fears as to the booking of Clark Connors about him being treated like, you know, a lion, uh, you know, some of that's been really relieved at this point. They made sure to keep him in the same kind of point totals with other guys that they clearly have, you know, um, bigger plans for like Francesco Akira, for instance, you know, so four and five is not bad, especially for a first time tournament. Um, He was on quite a losing streak early on but they made sure to kind of give him meaningful wins going down the the back end of the tournament. Now he, I don't know for me that Clark Connors really had a standout match. That's not totally his fault. Um, He was mostly in, you know, first half of the uh, night type of matches. And one thing I didn't take into consideration is as they moved to the format where everybody was, in block matches on the same night that resulted in a lot of those, you know, first like six matches of the night being like 10 minutes in length or less. And he was always in those slots for the most part. So 
he just had less ring time than other guys. He was lower priority on the card. He had no main event opportunities. And I think he still delivered really well with all the opportunities that were given him. He just didn't have like a, a real breakout moment aside from the fact that he picked up some solid wins. I, I still think it was a, a great showing for him and a great learning experience. And I'm sure that this will help get his name more recognizable to the audiences in Japan when he does make his return. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at with him basically. Yeah, I thought he had some solid performances. Probably his overall best match would have been probably the Hiromu match uh, that he had on night 11. Uh, Ishimori match from night 10 was uh, pretty good also. Uh, but like you mentioned, he was kind of in that opening kind of mid-card spot, pretty much getting 10 minutes or less um, each night. But I thought it was just a real kind of learning experience for him. You know, he got um, a lot of chance to work on his selling, you know, his arm was targeted throughout the tournament, a lot of selling. He got to do some character stuff with Taguchi. Um, and then he kind of got a little flair of that, you know, one of the, that main event style matchups with a guy like with Hiromu and Taiji Shimori as far as like wrestling the bigger stars. Um, and so it's just, I think overall it's a great learning experience for him. Again, nothing really stand out, but I think he's a guy that's going to continue to grow, continue to develop, and he's going to be a lot of fun. Again, another fun addition in these tournaments in the future. For him, I'm going to go B minus. I could be inclined to go C plus, but I'll be fair and I'll go B minus here. Yeah, I, I was also teetering on that C plus, B minus line, but yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll go I'll go if you can go B minus. So uh, up next also, last guy here with eight points, four wins, five losses, the sauce, Alex Zane. On night eight, he lost to Ace Austin. On night nine, he defeated Ritsu Kataguchi. On night 10, he lost to Hiromu. On night 11, he lost to Yo. And then on night 12, he lost to Clark Connors. Yeah, the story of Alex Zane here is pretty interesting throughout this tournament. Um, he had a great showing for himself every night, especially with his spectacular aerial maneuvers and, you know, high risk taking and fast paced offense, all that sort of stuff. Plus the charisma that is there. I mean, the all red attire, the interesting facial hair and, you know, um, but beyond that, what I think really, uh, you know, endeared him to the Japanese audience that was watching was his embracing of the culture while he was there. I mean, he was posting, and not just him, Ace Austin is also kind of included in this, but, you know, on social media, kind of posting in Japanese for the, for that, you know, domestic audience and really embracing, like, the local cuisine everywhere they went and not just embracing it, like, oh, I'm going to try it. Like, he was, like, gung-ho about it. Like, this was amazing. This was amazing. Love this. Tried this for the first time. You know, sh showing all these experiences that he's having and then, um, you know, trying to learn the language, learn the culture, and that really, you know, um, like I said, it, it endeared him to the the audience that was there. Plus, he's just an outlandish, you know, um, athletic type of guy. Like, he really had some great performances, took some high risks, and uh, probably got over almost more than any other new addition or outsider in this tournament. So, um, you know, we sang his praise is a lot the last couple of weeks. I think that anyone listening kind of knows where we stand on this, but uh, 
yeah, very, very impressive. Uh, again, I for me, there isn't like a standout match, but he's a guy, and I'm probably going to find myself saying this a lot throughout this tournament. Um, he's somebody that like had a lot of great matches, but there's not one that really sticks out. One thing I do um, wish we would have gotten, I wish we would have, we would have gotten Doki and Zane in the same block so we could have oh, gotten that match. Yeah, that would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, I, the heroic match was very fun. Um, yeah. A lot of the matches he had were fun, and that was one of the elements that, you know, that's something I was trying to uh, talk about a few weeks ago when we were talking about the junior division and the state it was in, is, like, there's good wrestling, but there's not always fun, you know? And by fun, I mean, like, stuff that, like, makes you stand up and be like, holy fuck, like, that guy's incredible. Well, Alex Zane brings that element to whatever match he's in. So, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, like you mentioned, Zane got over huge with the Japanese audience. You know, some of the shows they had, um, like, pre-show meet and greets, and he would have one of the longest lines of people buying merch, getting his autographs. You would see a lot of Alex Zane signs and merch in the crowd. And, yeah, like you mentioned, he's got over big time. He even went to uh, Japanese Taco Bell and they were tweeting about him since all his moves are uh, Taco Bell uh, based with his Taco Driver and Supreme Crunch Wrap and the Cinnamon Twist uh, Spiral Tap he does. So that was uh, pretty cool to see. He has like a Baja Blast something. Yeah, one of his moves is a Baja Blast, yeah. Um, so Japanese Taco Bell totally embraced him also and tweeted about him, helped get him over also. And yeah, like you mentioned, it's a real fun guy to watch. Like you mentioned, what's been missing from this junior division, somebody who's going to be doing all these crazy flips, you know, that crazy um, Hurricane Rana he, that he would do where the guy's sitting on the top rope and he would jump up and flip and, and do the Hurricane Rana, um, his double knee flip, the cinnamon twist, spiral tap. Like, he just had all these great uh, flippy-do maneuvers that in a tournament like this you want to see. Moves. Yes, moves, baby. And the thing is, Moves, I, baby. <laughs> uh, this guy came in. He was in probably the best shape that i ever seen him. He was shredded. And yeah. I think, yes, the flips are good, too, but he also did get to show off some of the selling um, where some of his limb works were, were targeted in, in this tournament, and I thought his, his wrestling looked really good, too. Yeah, there there have been times where we've seen him in there with particular wrestlers where I thought he looked out of place. I didn't think he could keep up uh, from a pacing standpoint with particular wrestlers and didn't look as fluid as some of the guys that are used to working at this world-class level, but I didn't catch any of that during this tournament. So yeah, I remember no, he um, had that, he had that strong match in Philadelphia with Will Ospreay sometime. I think it was last year and we both of us were like, yeah, yeah it didn't land with me at all, you know? Yeah. And, and there've been other instances aside from that, but you know, I'm sure he's been hard at work. I'm sure he's really put in the time, the effort. I mean, you look at his physique, you look at, uh, like you mentioned, I mean, just all the different aspects of pro wrestling. This is not a guy that looks like he's from the shindies or from the backyards or anything like that. Like, he looks like a consummate professional. Yeah, and if, uh, if I'm him, I'm not going back at GCW. Like, he's elevated his yeah. stock big time in this tournament. I'm um, saying, sorry, Brett, like, I, I, I'm a little bit big big time now. I need to be working bigger indies and, <laughs> you know, working a full-time New Japan contract. Well, I, I can't say he won't work GCW because that's kind of like one of his mainstays. But, I, I mean, who's to say we don't see him in a, a PWG in the near future or, 
you know, some of these other locate, you know, some of the other bigger indies across the country coming out of this. Um, and we're going to have to start having a discussion at the end of these ratings where we say who's getting signed and who's, who's coming back, who's not, because there's so many guys that had great accountings for themselves and there's no realistic way that new Japan is going to sign all of them. You know what I mean? So, right. um, it's going to be, yeah, that's going to be an interesting discussion, but, uh, for him, I'm going to go B plus. Yeah, I think B plus is a great grade for him. And, you know, for guys like him, even though they, they might not get a full-time deal right away, the good thing is there is New Japan Strong uh, for him right. where he can do stuff and continue to build his name in between tours before the next time they bring him back to Japan. And, you know, I'm not advocating for this in particular, but who's to say that, like, AEW doesn't snatch him up or something like that? Mm. We've already, he, you know, he already went to WWE, had his quote-unquote excursion, excursion. <laughs> <laughs> there but um you know he's a guy that really is pretty entertaining and captivating so i i could see that being a possibility as well yeah so moving on we actually have one more guy here that had uh eight points yo on night eight he defeated hiromu on night nine, he lost to francisco akira on night 10 he lost to risuke gucci then on night 11, he defeated Al Zane, and on night 12, he lost to his former partner and friend, Sho. Yeah, so Yo, Yo is so interesting in the way that he was not interesting. In this <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Because keep in mind, this is an individual that was in the finals of the Best of the Super Juniors last year and the one match that he had during this tournament that stands out and for me when 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 the dust is cleared it might be a top five match of the entire tournament was the match with Hiromu Takahashi where you know both guys were at six points and at that point I believe he was still alive but then you turn around and after he beats Hiromu in what was probably a classic of the tournament he drops losses to Taguchi and Francesco Akira and gets knocked out of the tournament altogether. His trajectory was so fucking weird. And I mean, they really did get us. One of the other, one of the things that we were predicting pretty heavily, even going into last week's episode, granted we, we, we still had like five nights to go. So there's no way we could have known exactly what was going to happen, but you see show, you see, yo, you look at their history in these tournaments, especially last year, you think that they're going to be like players moving into the final night. And they're literally both knocked out nights before and they're wrestling for, I guess, pride points, uh, prestige. I don't know. Um, And that match was bizarre and not good. Just like all the other matches that they've ever had. Um, And he was just a guy that looked like, I mean, I know the story is he doesn't want to be there, quote-unquote, but he really looked like a guy that didn't want to be there. And maybe that is a story. Maybe very soon there will be some, you know, something, whatever it is, and they're going to pay it off to where it's like, oh, the reason he's in this funk and blah, blah, blah. But for me, right now, having watched this and tracking it all the way back to his initial return from injury, it's just a big failure, top to bottom, miss after miss after miss, 
except for like two Hiroma matches. It's just like miss, 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 Hiromu, miss, 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 another Hiroma match, some more misses, and there's Yo. Like the whole thing where we joked and said like Yo's a hoe, he kind of is a hoe. Like he went from the top of the block last year to being on the same level as, and no offense to these guys, but they're not guys that have been to the finals of a best of the super juniors. Alex Zane, Clark Connors, Francesco Akira, Kanemaru, and he barely did better than Taguchi, who knocked him out of the tournament. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah, this was really weird booking. I don't know if you, you, you want to blame Gato, Kakuchi, or Dick Togo, but his whole booking, like you mentioned, since he's come back from the injury, has been all all kinds of jacked up. And this whole, you know, character, quote-unquote, that he's presenting of, oh, I, I'm purposely not interesting. I know I'm not interesting. I don't want to be interesting. Uh, well, that doesn't work for me. Um, he comes out here, look, 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 I keep saying, the bland expressions, the, the plain white gear that doesn't look great, and... I, you know, a lot of people love the Hiromu match. I was not a huge fan of this Hiromu match, and I get, like, he turned up the intensity. He worked on the legs and got the big, um, you know, figure four or whatever or submission on Hiromu, and he was turning up, trying to be more aggressive. But at that point, turning me, like, I just did not care. I did not invest in him. Like, I, I don't know. I just didn't take him seriously at all. So, yeah, he had this kind of big monumental main event win over Hiromu, but to me, I was just kind of like, meh, I just wasn't invested, didn't really care, and then, like you mentioned, then he goes and loses to Akira, goes and loses to Gucci, then he's out of the tournament, and then he's still trying to have, like, a serious match with, like, Ag Zane the next night, and I'm like, bro, I don't care, like, like you mentioned, you were, (laughs) you were a finalist last year, bro, a finalist, you should have been coming in as one of the favorites to win this thing this year, you should have been having one the, some of the best matchups. You should have been one of the most entertaining guys, but we didn't get that. And yes, yeah, some of that goes on the booking, but some of that goes on yo as well. Like you can present yourself better. You you can you can wrestle better. Like I don't know. This is yeah. That that's when you were talking about like some of it's on the booking. I was gonna say some of it's on his wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> um. One word, Sonata. This is Sonata reincarnated. But it's it's I worse, was, though. It is worse. Like, like so, I mean, Sonata will go out there. He's getting a title match. He'll go out there and give you a four, give you a four and a quarter. No, what I mean is, like, he's in the block final one year, and then the next year he's just a non-entity in the tournament. That's yeah. what happened here. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I, I really, really, really don't know. Um, I will say about that match with Hiromu, I liked this match with Hiromu better than the praised and loved Super Junior Final that they had at the end of last year. Um, I just, I don't know, I felt like this was more crisp, landed for me, it was shorter and more intense. Um, One thing in kayfabe, though, you have to kind of take into consideration, yeah, he beat Hiromu, but Hiromu was dealing with a quote-unquote leg injury at that point. In, in the stretch of the tournament. So Hiromu kind of had an out for why, like even with one wheel broken, he still went to the limit with Yo and Yo had to pull out everything to beat him and then was summarily dismissed from the tournament very shortly <laughs> after that. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Um, um, I, I just, I have no investment for this guy whatsoever. Yeah, me either. 
had a couple questions here from uh, Rambone Slam Pig. It says, what is Yo doing? I get that there's a story about him needing to take it to the next level, but his matches just seem listless and boring more than ever. I'm sure that, like, super fan and, you know, friend of the show, Karen, might be able to give us some insight. I am a member of Team New Japan USA, so I bet I could go read his, like, blogs or his, like, wrestler diaries and get some more insight, but uh, I don't care to. (laughs) So, so... I'm just going to take him at his word and by his word, I mean, you know, what he produces in between, you know, the, the ropes, which is, you know, not much. The, the, and you know, what's funny is like, he is a good wrestler. It's not like he's incompetent. He's having competent wrestling matches. He's just not interesting. There's yeah. no reason for me to invest or to care. I think that's, and a- he has no fire. Yeah, I think that's a frustrating thing. It's like he is a good wrestler, and like we've invested so much time when he was coming up through the dojo and being a part of Rapungi 3K. And you know, when is the show and yo split gonna happen? What are they gonna do with these guys? And like we invested so much time in their story and their development and their build, and like now they're finally getting their singles chances, and it's just a big flop from both of them. You want my opinion? New Japan did a good job this year booking him this way. That's what I think. Because <laughs> this is where he deserves to be. Okay. Listen, I haven't given up on show yet. Show show still might turn out to be a Naito, but yo, he's a Yujiro. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh I know, man. I know you don't want to hear it. I know a lot of people don't want to hear it, but that's just where it is. This is I, I never liked yo. I was never a yo guy. Like, do I think that like it does suck because we invested time and energy in the company, put all this time, energy, and effort. He should be carrying the division, yes, but that's just not the reality. And, you know, we can't control things that are outside of our control. And whether this guy shows up and turns out and has fire and cares and produces, that's not on me. That's all on him. My job is just to tell you whether he was good or not. He was not good. Yeah. Uh, I, I give him a D. <laughs> yeah, I I would go D D minus. Uh, yeah, this guy was just abysmal. Uh, Ram Bones also asked with about two third of a year to see it play out. What do you think of the dissolution of Rapungi Three K? Did they turn the wrong member? Are either better off in the long run, or was this just a result of running out of stuff to do in the junior tag division with them? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I do think they, they turned the wrong person. I, I think show should have been the baby face. We, we saw the formula that it was working great with him having these, you know, never style matchups and being that kind of fiery baby face. And then yo could have been this uninteresting heel and it probably would have worked out better, but they, they, I think they turned the, them both the wrong ways. I think that the, the part of the question where he asked, um, did they run out of things to do in the junior division is kind of interesting, you know, because, um, yeah, they might be a victim of that. I mean, you, you take a look at it, and there were so many years where they were not able to really, like, progress in a super juniors to that next level. I mean, Granted, Show took his shot and 
produce some really great matches. But I mean, you look at Yo and his listless performances, and a lot of those super juniors when they were part of Rapongi 3K, and then the remainder of the year, they were kind of handicapped because they were seen as like the junior tag guys. And the only other team that was kind of under that same kind of handicap was like the young bucks, but they didn't put themselves very often in a position to even produce like pursue singles in new Japan whatsoever. So it didn't matter for them, but for these two guys, guys that they knew eventually they were going to split. It did kind of hamper them because I mean, how many years were they together? Three or four. That's three to four years where they didn't really step out of, the confines of their tag team too much and take steps forward as far as like challenging for titles and, and everything like that. I mean, the only one who really did was show, I mean, I think the writing was always on the, on the wall here as to which guy would be the breakout guy. And they've even fucked that up. (laughs) Yeah. I don't don't know, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's rough. Uh, like and I almost feel like am I being too harsh giving him a D but it's like aside from the one match I just didn't dude he's lucky he's not getting an F I guess so yeah yeah I mean this guy was just literally one of the most uninteresting like my interest level was almost about the same as Taguchi like seeing you oh I'm absolutely there. I, I have no use for either of them at this point coming out of this tournament. Again, give me Tiger Mask. I'll, I'll take Tiger Mask over Yo in a heartbeat in this thing. Yeah. So moving on to the next guy here coming in at 10 points, the X Division champion, Ace Austin, and with five wins and four losses on night eight, he defeated his zest friend, Alex Zane, on night nine, he defeated the IWGP Junior Champion, Taiji Ishimori. On night 10, he lost his show. On night 11, he lost to Taguchi. And then on night 12, like we mentioned, he lost to Francisco Akira by count out. Yeah, um, Ace Austin, very, very impressive all throughout this tournament. Uh, one thing is, like, this is a guy that represents Impact Wrestling. You know, this is a company that is pretty vilified in the eyes of most wrestling fans. And, you know, anytime you hear those particular corners of like Twitter or that fandom try to convince you that it's better than it's reported to be. And then you go and you watch an impact show or pay-per-view and then you're proven otherwise, it's always disappointing. And so for them to kind of include him in this tournament, which Aside from the fact that, I mean, yes, they've had some great relations recently. You look at the the past, and I mean, there were so many years where these companies wouldn't even work together, have nothing. They wouldn't even be on the same channel as one another, <laughs> like nothing. And then they bring in the Impact X Division champion, Ace Austin, the guy who, like, prior to this tournament, we weren't necessarily the highest on him. I mean, I think we both admitted he's a very talented guy, but maybe not someone that could hang at this level. And I think he more than hanged. I think he exceeded in every single expectation, got over huge with the crowd, the audience had fantastic matches. Um, For my money as a complete performer, I'm not saying he has the the highest aptitude, but like if I were comparing him amongst um, 
the other guys in this block that were outsiders, I think he had the best showing. Possibly. Um, someone who, like, it is very precarious because he is an impact guy, and I'm like, man, I don't know. I, I don't think that New Japan can, quote, unquote, sign him necessarily, but I think he's kicked down the door wide open to him returning to Japan for sure, even if it is as a representative of, of impact and um, just, yeah, really, really, really impressive. I, I think he fit in like a glove. Yeah. He's a guy. He, uh, definitely. I've changed my opinion on him completely. Like he mentioned, I, I was, I wasn't that high on him going into this tournament and like he killed it in this tournament. And, you know, I've seen him in MLW and I've seen him in impact and just, didn't get over the way that he got over here. He had a lot of really good matchups, like you mentioned, just like um, Alex Zane, both of them, you know, they were the zest friends and touring Japan all over together. And again, both of them embracing the culture and he got over, he saw tons of Ace Austin merch. There were people wearing his glasses, his t-shirts, their towels. People had the cards, like people were fully bought into his gimmick. They, They loved the card, the paper cut card spot. Uh, they got some ooh and ahs where he would do his little, like, gambit stick thing in his entrance. Like, just got over huge with his character. And then the wrestling got over as well. Just having these really good um, matchups with some of the top guys. You know, this past week, uh, the Ishimori match uh, was really good. And he set himself up for a future junior title shot here by beating the uh, junior champion. And the match with Alex Zane, like we mentioned, the Zest friends, these guys, um, became really good friends on this tour, but they, they had a clash in uh, on night eight, and uh, that they had a really fun matchup together. And so, again, it's a very dynamic um, wrestler. The the Fosbury flop, his sword of glory uh, over the top was great every night. He had a lot of great moves. I don't think I'm the, the biggest fan of his finisher, the, the fold, that that kind of jumping neck breaker thing that he did. Uh, besides that, everything else was was awesome. Uh, when he beat Ishimori, was that the the controversial night with the shoulders? Yeah, but he um, kind of did a because he was he was that was definitely a double down. Yeah, it was kind of a clutch kind of pin there, similar to the Saber Sonata situation where uh, both shoulders were down, but it looked like I guess technically Ace Austin was on top and he pulled Ishimori into that, but uh, both guys' uh, shoulders uh, were down. Yeah, both of their shoulders were completely down on that one. Like, I don't know if that was the the part of me wants to say it's storyline, except it hasn't factored into any further storyline moving forward, and they never really mention it. So I'm guessing it, it's kind of a botch. I don't know, man. Like, I know I, I thought that Kevin it, Kelly had kind of mentioned it on con, kind of bringing it up. Like, hey, I think both their shoulders were down. Um, they were yeah but 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 i mean like it's not like they're i don't know who knows maybe down the line it'll turn into a story but this kind of felt like a a minor thing that like is just kind of gonna be forgotten um but i don't know i mean jeremy you wrestled i've done a little bit of pro wrestling and like i just can't imagine that you would accidentally get pinned off your own move like you know what i mean like right is that something that could really happen I guess in the impossible vast amount of things that could possibly happen, it is possible, but it just seems like so 
against the nature of a wrestler to let your shoulders be down. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, even to this day, like, I, I do not sleep on my back. Like, <laughs> being on my, my back is, like, uncomfortable. Like, I always feel like I would get pinned, so... <laughs> Yeah, like it's weird. Like, <laughs> how do you, how do you pin himself unless it was part of the story? And if it's part of the story, where is it going? Except for like, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Who knows? Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're gonna run it back. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe they'll do another matchup, and Ishimori probably won't be champ by the time they face. But maybe Ace will still be champ. He could do an X Division title match. He defends against Ishimori, and he can actually beat him clean. Or who knows? Maybe Ishimori gets a quick X Division title run for a little bit. Who knows? They're gonna do something there. We'll uh, see. So what's, what's your grade here for uh, Ace Austin? What did I go with uh, Alex Zane? I think you went B+. Plus. Yeah, I think I'm going to go B+. Plus. I'm somewhere between B and B+, plus with him. Yeah, I, I think uh, I will go B+. Plus. Um, really good performer. And, again, I think him and Zane both had really good matchups together and both got over, so... Yeah, I, I think that's what I think that's what puts it over is the how 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 well they were both received by the audiences. Yeah, I want to see both I mean, of these guys back. I mean, think about it. We've been doing this show for since 2017, and you know we've seen a lot of outsiders come in a lot, and I can't think of any time that any outsiders were really this well received like this initially, like just out the gate. I can't think of it. Yeah, I, I mean, guys eventually got over, but it was straight out first appearance, hot off the gate like right. this. Like, these guys killed it. Right. I mean, like, Will Ospreay and, like, Dragon Lee, two, like, generational guys, you know, who were Gaijin, I don't feel like they were as well-received when they first started in this division. So that tells you, I mean, that's crazy-sounding. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully uh, with the Impact New Japan relationship, we can get Ace Austin on strong and then get him over to Japan for some tours. So let's take a look at the next guy here, also at 10 points, five wins, four losses, the Murder Machine Show. So on night eight, he defeated Taguchi. Night nine, he defeated Hiromu. On night 10, he defeated Ace Austin. On night 11, he lost to Kanemaru in 2 minutes and 44 seconds. And then, like we mentioned, on night 12, he defeated Yo. Yeah, so show was... Um, the, the, the only thing that's kind of interesting with show was that, yes, they still were leaning into the cheating, but they, they for the most part, not entirely... There are a few notable exceptions, but for the most part, they really mixed the outside interference. He didn't have, like, um, Dick Togo coming to ringside with him like he did in some of the other Super Juniors from last year. Um, still relying heavily on the wrench, but um, even though I didn't like his shtick, the one thing that was interesting is that they did mix it up a lot. Last year, there was a very strict template to his matches and how he got his heat and how he won his matches using the wrench. This year, he did a lot more kind of zany outside, like running away and chasing and jumping people and kind of more creative things. And I think for some people, that change of pace worked for them. I'm not necessarily one of them, but I will say it was less repetitive and less 
annoying than what we've seen from him in the past. At the same time, it's still show a guy who I think is one of the absolute best performers in the world as a junior. And we, we saw none of that through this tournament again. Um, you know, Jeremy, there tends to be, and we've talked about this before, with particular guys, there tends to be like a, a period where they come in as a heel and they do the like, maybe it seems like we've seen it with like Jay White and others, like two years where they're really invested in all these like cheating and storytelling elements and shenanigans. And then at a certain point, they kind of take that stuff away and make them perform more as like a regular wrestler. And then usually when that happens, they take that role and they give it to someone else that's kind of coming in as a heel. I am wondering if that's what we're getting with show right now. And down the line, there will be someone else that comes in and facilitates that role, you know, Um, because we had other cheaters who were doing kind of a lot of the same stuff as him before he took on that mantle in the junior division. The only thing that, that makes me feel like maybe that's not the case is evil because how long has evil been? <laughs> yeah. like, aren't we due for evil to like start having, you know, I don't know, but um, I, I, I didn't like show very much in this tournament. I'm just trying to be like as unbiased and like look into all of it and kind of give the breakdown. But at the end of the day, Again, this is another guy who was like a major player in last year's tournament, and he's ending with 10 points, which I guess is respectable. But, you know, he got knocked out by Kanemaru. He wasn't in in contention going into the final block nights. Uh, He had a terrible match with Yo, which is like supposed to be his generational rival, and they've never had a notable match once. Um, So it's like if you like cheaty comedy guy, then he's for you, I guess. But that's not me, so I still am like, what the fuck are we doing? Uh, I'm gonna give him. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna give him a. I'll give him a D plus. Uh, because he didn't have a single match that really mattered to me. Yeah, I mean D plus D, somewhere in that range. Yeah, you can you can go there. Um, yeah, a big eye roll for me anytime show came on the screen. It, it seemed like there were a lot of people have been finding what he's been doing funny and i, I guess you can i, I can kind of see that um but yeah he's kind of turned into looks like they're trying to turn him it seems like into a comedy wrestler like you mentioned he did a lot of weird kind of zany stuff this time you know there was the whole spot where his wrench was replaced by like a banana when he was wrestling the gucci he had the whole and they had the whole like a teabag thing in that match and then you had the whole thing where he's you know, trying to jump Hiromu before the bell, but then Hiromu comes out the other side and jumps him. He was almost like Wiley Coyote in, in in this yeah. tournament where he had all these kind of crazy schemes, and most of the times it kind of blew up in his face, and the Roadrunner got away, and he was left looking like an idiot. Um, and, yeah, just like you mentioned, not one, not one matchup where he decided, you know what, let me, you know, do the, the – Stick for like the first couple of minutes and then actually wrestle the rest of the match. We saw none of that. He committed to the gimmick every single matchup, and there was not one anything sniffing the old show or any kind of great performance. But again, like I said, I was super happy when he lost to Kanamaru on night eleven, 
you know, for him being out of contention because I did not want to see him going to a block final, especially wrestling the ways and wrestle and, and doing this whole kind of comedy, you know, like I said, Wally Coyote gimmick kind of thing. Yeah, um, I'm agreed. <laughs> and we, we did have a question here from a um, Twitter follower at Chris underscore Ertz. He says, is it just me or a show growing on anyone else? I'm turning a corner on his dark Yano shtick. Keeping the matches short and putting a bit more humor into the cheating seems much more palatable. Yeah, you know, it might be more palatable. It's not for me. I, I want the guy that wrestled Shingo and Dragon Lee. Like, that's the guy <laughs> I want. Um, and I, I won't settle for less. Uh, but you're not alone. There are other people who like it. Uh, it might not be this podcast, but there are people out there that seem to like it, it seems. Yeah, I've been hearing a, a few people kind of turning the corner on show and really kind of enjoying what he's doing. I mean... Good for you if you if people if you're enjoying it and it, it enhances your viewing. Like for me, it doesn't. Again, looks like Josh. I, I want to see that the Power Junior who was having these bangers with uh, Shingo and Dragon Lee and Hiromu and having these, you know, four and a half star matchups. Um, for me, I'm not digging this whole you want to call it Dark Yano thing. Like I'm uh, not digging. I think it's a, a waste of talent. Again, another guy that we had invested years in. It was high hopes for a guy who could have been the face of this division. We keep talking about we need new faces in this junior division, new stars to carry this division. It can't just be Hiromu. This is a guy that could have been that. But instead, for whatever reason, they, they wanted to go with this whole heel thing, and now he's doing the whole comedy thing. And I don't know. It's just, it's just a shame. You said turn the corner. For me, it wouldn't be turning the corner. For me, it would be a U-turn because I was already going forward on him. And then I had to go backwards. <laughs> and so that would be me just turning back around and coming back, you know? Yeah. Uh, question from Hawaiian Punch BV. He says, I've been actually enjoying Yo and Show during Best Super Juniors until their singles match. Is there another longtime tag team with as much anti-chemistry as these two? Uh, that's a good question. I can't really think of... Uh, any notable um, examples? Maybe, maybe the Rock and Roll Express uh, when they split up, and it was uh, Richard Morton <laughs> <laughs> taking on um, who's the other guy? Gibson. Ricky Morton and uh, uh, yeah, Robert Gibson. Um, but I think I can only remember them having one, maybe two matches, and they were they were they weren't really anything at all, you know. But they were also older at that point, and then they left the territory and then started teaming again. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's I can't. I mean, most long term tag teams that I can think of that end up splitting, and I'm talking like like good tag teams that have like good reputations that split up and then fight each other usually have a lot of chemistry i mean you look at the rockers you look at uh the young bucks when they wrestled each other you look at the briscoes you look at uh the, the bulldogs um yeah i mean i don't know edge and christian uh maybe matt and jeff matt and jeff don't seem to have very good matches against each other they, they did have a few when uh matt turned yeah. heels doing the whole like black cap cloud thing the wrestlemania match i really enjoyed that match that they had they hate that match, though. <laughs> I saw a shoot video where they said that they hate that match. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, can I you could, think of any team? Not really, because most of the teams I'm thinking about, like, usually have good matches. Like, America's Most Wanted, Chris Harrison, Wildcat, uh, Wildcat Chris Harrison, Cowboy James Storm. They had some great matches against each other. Yeah, uh, but they also had one of the worst matches in TNA history during that feud, too. Uh, that, that is true. They had one... They had one of the best matches. What was it? Uh, I can't remember. But they had there was one match that's like one of the best matches. They had a Texas the, Death match, I think. The Texas Death match is incredible. And then they had another match. I don't remember what it was, but it's bad. It's like literally one of the worst matches in TNA history. So I don't know. Yeah. Okay. N- never mind that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, most most teams that break up or or wrestle each other. I mean, Saban and Shelley, those guys wrestle each other. Had good matches. Like most guys have. Pretty good matchups against each other. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. All right. So uh, moving on to the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, the Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori, comes in with 12.6 wins and three losses. On night eight, he lost to Kanemaru. Night nine, he lost to Ace Austin. Then on night 10, he defeated Clark Connors. Night 11, he defeated Francisco Akira. And on night 12, he lost to Hiromu Takahashi in the A-block deciding matchup here. So Hiromu Takahashi going on to the finals. Ishimori, the champ, falling to Hiromu here. You know, now that I'm looking at it on paper, they haven't made a a big to-do about it just yet. But if that match with Ace Austin had been called the way it should have, it would have been both guys getting pinned. That would have been a draw. They would have each gotten one point, and then he would have, no matter what happened from here on out, he would have won the tournament, where the block it is. So they might turn around and make that into a story. Like, they called that one match wrong, and because of it, I should have won the block, but instead, now I want your X division title. I could see that happening. Mm, so, yeah, maybe there is something to it. But um, Ishimori, he's a great, great wrestler. You know, there have been times where we've been up on him, and then times where we've been not as high. You know, um, during these tournaments, uh, this one in particular, I didn't think that this was like his greatest showing in a Super Juniors, but it was far from his worst. I, there have been a few tournaments where I was like, "Where? what What happened to this guy? Where is he? Um, at this point, I mean, I feel like he was probably right on the same level as some of the other competitors, like, for instance, Ace Austin and Alex Zane, a guy, or Francesco Akira, too, a guy who went out there every night, maybe didn't have, in my opinion, too many super notable matches, which in and of itself might be notable because he did have main events and he did have quite a few semi-main events and, you know, is the champion, but, um, you know, he was very good. And I think he also had a really strong role in any time he was in there with these up and comers and, and new, like fresh starts. He sort of him and Hiromu being like the stalwarts and like the top guys at the block really, kind of went the extra mile to, like, establish those guys and give them good showings. So um, I would go B with Ishimori. I didn't think that, for me, there were too many matches, again, that stood out at that top level, but he was very, very solid top to bottom. And, I mean, from a kayfabe perspective, I mean, he was, you know, 
unblemished until the Kanemaru. And I think that Kanemaru was the start of the spiral from a storyline perspective. Yeah, I thought Ishimori was very good in this tournament. I, I agree with your grade of go, uh, going a flat B. Like you mentioned, we've seen Ishimori kind of sleepwalk his way through these things before where he's out there, he's kind of has fine matches, but doesn't really put that effort in. And I thought, you know, being the junior champion um, maybe motivated him a little bit more here. And I thought he had mm-hmm. some very good outings. Again, like he didn't have any, like, match of the year contenders or anything, but compared to some of his past performances or even just some past, you know, performances on tours where he's kind of featured, I thought he was uh, very dynamic here, very fun to watch, and uh, had a lot of really uh, good matchups here and. Uh, the Hiromu final matchup uh, today in the A block final that was a very good matchup and uh, I love yeah. the the Akira match and the, the Connors match was pretty good the Ace Austin match like this past this whole past week his matches have been very fun very entertaining like you mentioned he kind of was coming in super strong off the wind and then um, kind of Maru kind of you know what's the the you know the crack in the armor and then kind of went down from there losing to Ace Austin and eventually losing to Roma here on night 12, but yeah, Ishimori really um, enjoyed him this this year, and it's going to be interesting to see if he uh, ends up holding on to the strap uh, after the finals in uh, Dominion. The other thing, too, is like he lost to Hiromu, and so at this point, if Hiromu does win the tournament, then we're going to get uh, pretty much a return match between them right, you know, within not a very long period of time. Um, they were obviously the first year that uh, Hiromu won Super Juniors. He was in the finals that year in Cork, and I think that's 2018. Yeah, 2018. Uh, against Ishimori, which they, I don't think, even though they all their matches always deliver, they've never, in my opinion, really approached that same level of performance that they had at first uh uh, super juniors against one another where they quote unquote broke the scale. Um, but this was a good match and uh, probably for me, the best Ishimori match of the tournament. Yeah. So then the last guy I talk about here in the a block, the man who won the a block, like we mentioned the ticking time bomb, Hiromu Takahashi coming in with 12 points and obviously by beating Ishimori, he got the tiebreaker, which allowed him to win the a block so on night eight, he lost to Yo. Night nine, lost to Show. Then night 10, he defeated Alexei. Night 11, defeating Clark Connors. And like we just mentioned, on night 12, defeating Taiji Ishimori. So going on a, a run there on the, the last three nights of block action. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, we talked about it last week where Kanemaru attacked the knee, took him out, and tapped him out. And then that kind of kick-started his, like, losing spree. Uh, lost a really hard-fought match against Yo, and then in the show match, he pretty much had it locked up, and that's where we started seeing like the abundance of House of Torture cheating, where they had all the guys come out, like Evil and Dick Togo and yada, 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 and the ref bumps, and then at one point, show kicked Hiromu in the leg, and they were implying that he had a loaded kick pad, similar to the storyline that we just finished earlier this year with ELP, which I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm a big fan of two guys from the same stable using the same cheating tactic. And I got a little nervous that they're going to start doing show has a loaded, you know, pad now 
two, which is like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, from there, he, he turned around. He beat Zane and Clark, Clark Connors, which are two matches that you'd expect him to win, put him in contention. And then the big test was getting past Ishimori. I was surprised that Ishimori really uh, targeted the shoulder throughout this match, even though that is a uh, strategy that's paid dividends to him in the past. It's not what was bothering or ailing Hiromu throughout the tournament. It was more the leg, and that kind of went um, unchecked altogether. So I am wondering from a kayfabe perspective if uh, you know um, Ishimori should have changed up his game plan and maybe worked the leg and the shoulder, or maybe just focus primarily on the legs that seemed to work for other guys. I don't know. But um, ultimately, Hiromu beat him. Yeah, yeah. Ishimori should have changed the game plan up. I feel like Hiromu changed the game plan up after those losses. We saw the incorporation of this kind of running, spinning stunner thing. He started using the, the D triangle choke more instead of kind of going for the time bomb. So he kind of shifted his game to working over the head, getting submissions, and, and doing the D, which kind of led him to a lot of the wins here. Um, then night 12, he, he passed out, uh, got a ref stoppage on Ishimori with the D. So shifting his game plan, not going for a ton of high risk, focusing more on attacking the head and neck and getting a submission win. Yeah, for me, it's kind of interesting. I think Hiromu is still the standout guy of this block, but this was nowhere near the same caliber of performance that we've gotten from him in the past. We talked about the different reasons for that last week with his ailments and injuries and wear and tear and everything like that. But even with, even with a slightly diminished performance, I still think he was the best performer in the entire block gave most of the people in the block, their best matches was still hyper entertaining, took risks, yada, yada. I mean, uh, it, it's no surprise whatsoever. The only thing that might be surprising is he kind of took a, a really a step back in terms of focus from a story perspective. He just kind of seemed like another guy in the block that was plugging away and kind of there, had a little storyline with the leg and the injury and all that. But then suddenly, like, we got to the last couple of nights. It's like, oh, shit, Hiromu's in the finals. Like, I know we all sort of from the beginning expected that, but it didn't seem like the story of this A block was focused on Hiromu as it has been in years past. You know, it didn't feel like that. He just kind of was like, oh, here I am, business as usual. You know, Hiromu's in the finals. Here we go. And um, from a storyline perspective, it makes sense because he has a chance to, to be the first person at three peat ever. And the only person to win the tournament, I think I misspoke when we did the preview, where I said that he might uh, tie um, Kanemoto. Uh, Kanemoto, but I think he's already surpassed or tied Kanemoto. Yeah, because he and, he has Hiromu has four or no, no he, he has three. three. He's got if he wins this year, it'll be four. Yeah, yeah, this will be his fourth tournament. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like the fact that the A block story wasn't all around him because it allowed, you know, like we mentioned, it allowed Alex Zane to get over, allowed Ace Austin, it allowed them to focus on other guys and kind of tell stories of pushing other guys in the A block while Hiromu was kind of, like you mentioned, kind of sneaking in the background. Then the last few nights just kind of, kind of came blaring right through up to up in front. Uh, but overall, uh, I agree with you. I think Hiromu was kind of the standout 
performer in the A block. Um, had a ton of main events, gave everybody probably their best matchups in the block. And again, we didn't get a ton of, you know, jumping sentons or, or senton bomb. That's the sunset bomb. Uh, but we still got a lot of really great matchups, though. So, what was your grade for uh, Hiromu? Um, I would give Hiromu a B. Yeah, I think B is fair. Could, may, yeah, I'll say B. No, yeah, B. Flat B is fine, yeah. I, I, again, like I said, I'm kind of grading on curves, and for, for Hiromu, he gave a B performance. I mean, do I think that long-term that maybe he, you know, maybe performed at a higher level than, say, like Ace Austin and Alex Zane, who I gave B pluses to? Yes. But he also was in a lot of main events. He was given a lot of time to to work. You know, it's a little different when it comes to him. So I'm for him, I'm going B. Yeah, makes sense. We had a question here from Mark O'Brien at MarkNado1990 on Twitter. So did they get the points wrong for block A before the last night? Should they have tried to have least have, should they have tried to have least one other match with stakes to add to excitement? Or because there are two blocks, they felt that there was enough matches that still meant something. Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter to me. I mean, sometimes we've seen, um, you know, blocks in different round-robin tournaments where there's, uh, for instance, there's that one infamous G1 not too long ago where there was no clear final match for the block. This is the year that um, Ibushi went to the finals based off of Jay White losing to Ishii. Uh, it was all like mathematical round robin, and I'm okay with that every once in a while. But there's a lot of people that didn't like it. I, I do seem, you know, for me, I think it is beneficial to have a clear, defined. This is the determinant match to really clear things up in the block. Um, you know, Kevin Kelly seemed to be pretty convinced that there was some sort of scenario where had uh, Ace Austin won, and particular things lined up a certain way, he could have still won. Um, based on the scenarios that we published that came from uh, Chris Amsa, that didn't seem to be the case. It seemed like it was a de facto, you know, Hiromu versus, you know, the winner of Hiromu and the winner of uh, that match with Ishimori wins the block. But, uh, you know, maybe they did try to include uh, Ace Austin to some degree, but I'm fine with it either way, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Chris Jordan kind of shut Kevin Kelly down pretty quick on that. He was like, no, Ace is out. <laughs> He's like, he does not have a tie. I gotcha. <laughs> he doesn't have the tiebreakers with these guys. So, like, he corrected Kevin Kelly pretty quickly, and he had to kind of clear that up on air. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I I mean, I think it is good sometimes to have multiple matchups where you have multiple guys. Kind of in the B block, you had three guys that were alive that could have made it depending on, on who won. But uh, Wait, I didn't think Chris Charlton was on today's show. Not today's show. There was a show. I think it was night okay. eleven. Because Kevin Kelly was still kind of saying that during today's show. Okay, because I didn't have. I wasn't paying attention to commentary when I watched today's show, so I didn't. I didn't realize he said that again. Uh, gotcha. Okay. But yeah, the one time when they were on, I think it was night eleven. They were commentary together, and Charlton was like, "No, the like, Ace has lost to Hiromu and Ishimori." Well, he you no, know, he beat Ishimori, but he didn't have the tiebreaker or whatever. And he wouldn't have gotten enough points or whatever. And so Chris explained that, but uh, it seemed like Kevin had got it. But I guess maybe, I don't know, he's trying to pull out for Ace Austin. I don't know. 
But uh, anyway, here, let's uh, move on to the B block. So starting at the bottom here, Doki coming in with six points, three wins, six losses. On night eight, Doki defeated Bushi. On night nine, he lost to TJP. On night 10, he lost to El Esperado. On night 11, he lost to Teton. And then on night 12, he lost to Master Watto. Yeah, Doki, um, you know, his tournament, he really front ran a lot. Had a lot of meaningful, big, kind of surprising victories in the first half of the tournament. And it all kind of culminated on night 10, the very anticipated match with stablemate El Desperado. That match was one of the longest matches of the tournament, 21 minutes, 51 seconds. In my opinion, one of the best matches of the tournament as well. Um, But after that, you know, I guess from a storyline perspective, maybe his confidence was crushed, but there was this uh, hope that he would improve year over year on his point standings and he just needed to win one more match to get the eight points and alas he ate you know three losses back to back to back on the last three nights so that didn't really work out for him but as far as uh his performance in ring during this tournament uh i think this is the best tournament he's ever had uh and yeah i mean he's had some pretty good matches in the past i mean the the bromo match from Super Juniors, I think last year or the year before, stands out. I think both years actually had really good matches in, in the tournament. But, uh, yeah, this Desperado match may be his best singles match in New Japan as of yet. So, yeah, he had a really strong tournament. I just wish they would have – I don't know. I wish they would have, like, let him beat Watsu or something and just get that last two points, you know. Yeah, I was really pulling for him to, to beat Watsu today, and it was kind of a bummer that – he uh, tapped out to to Watto there at the end, and you know ends with six. But like you mentioned, yeah, great performer in the B block. Had a lot of really fun matchups. You know, unlike Karomu, we did get a lot of wild stuff from Doki. We we got the sunset bombs, the the Tope Suicida DDTs. He was doing a lot of wild, crazy matchups uh, uh, moves. Yeah, he really started integrating that DDT. He's always done a DDT, but he's. Uh, kind of innovated different ways to get into the DDT from different positions. And a lot of them were on the outside and, you know, just kind of um, emphasizing that more into his game plan. It was really cool. There was one move today. I don't even know how to, it was, um, it looked like a rock bottom and then he spins the guy around and then throws him back into like a, a Northern lights position. I was like, yeah. what the fuck is that? I've never seen him do that before. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Like, yeah. yeah Do- to me, Doki is like the most dynamic, like new japan guy uh for and and most reckless too like i i love the way he wrestles i wish he wasn't at the bottom of this block but it is what it is yeah and the desperado match was a great match but even though i liked it i i felt like there was another level that they could have hit that i was anticipating that they didn't quite get there you know that i i agree with you i think that's the story of most of this tournament if you want my honest opinion um We'll talk about it, but there's only really one match in the whole entire tournament that really hit that truly great level. Everything else in the tournament was just very good. Even the even like, you know, and I'll talk about what I thought were the top five matches of the tournament when we get done with this. There's one that's like, you know, match of the tournament, a match of the year contender, you know, something that's going to be on everybody's list. And then 
for the rest of them, I think they're all going to get forgotten when it's all said and done, honestly. Yeah. And that was, yeah, that's, that's the match. I mean, again, I want four stars flat on it, but with all the history and the hype, I was expecting four and a half at least, or, you know, kind of another match of the year candidate, but we didn't get it, but still, still a fun uh, main event and good spotlight for Doki. Uh, so what, what grade are you giving here? Um, I would go B for Doki. I, I wish I could go a little bit higher, um, but I think that's a really good grade for him. So for a guy that's three and six in the tournament, they're getting a B, that's more than fair. Yeah, I, I'll go I'll agree if you give a, a B to our man Doki here. So then coming in, I've uh, got a few guys here with eight points. Uh, first, Master Watto. Eight points, four wins, and five losses on night eight. He lost to Desperado on night net, night nine. He defeated Teton on night 10. He lost to Wheeler, Utah. And then on night 11, he defeated El Lindemann. And on night 12, like I mentioned, he defeated Doki. Um, You know, him and uh, Taguchi, they're the junior tag champions. They lost a lot. There's a lot of people <laughs> in line that could potentially be getting junior tag team title shots. I don't really have much to say about Watto, not because like he didn't wrestle well, but it's kind of same similar to the like the yo factor where like I'm just not that interested in him. Um, he did well. I, I think this is his best tournament. I think it was better than the last two years he was in this thing. But then again, at the same time, he was never a factor. He was never really a legit player in it. Uh, he didn't have any breakout performances or great matches. I think he was just good. He was very competent. Um, you know, I couldn't say that like his matches were bad. There's just not much to, you know, sink my teeth into when it comes to Watto, which has kind of been the story of his career overall in New Japan anyway. So yeah, for him, I would just go solid C and I don't have much more to say. Yeah. I would say the big, the big thing, probably the big win for him was, I think that he was very consistent throughout the whole tournament. There wasn't, he didn't really botch at all. I thought a lot of his stuff looked good. He did a lot more high flying. He incorporated a lot of the Lucha Libre spots that he learned when he was on excursion in, in Mexico at CMLL. And I thought he looked, uh, you know, pretty complimented out there. Like you mentioned pretty good. Um, I agree with the C grade. I mean, he's just kind of a solid player out there, but, it wasn't one of those things where you're making fun of Watto because he's messing up or botching or having bad matches. Like he had um, decent matchups and he was consistent and you know look he's getting some more confidence. So uh, good, good stuff for uh, Watto here. So up next, Bushi with eight points, four wins and five losses on night eight. He lost to Doki. Then on night nine, he defeated El Desperado. On night ten, he lost to Teton. On night 11, he lost to TJP. And then on night 12, he defeated L. Lindemann. Um, you know, again, sim- similar thing. It's Bushi. We, I mean, I-, I wish we could be more insightful. I wish we were like the podcast that was like giving you all the rundown of the stats and everything. But Bushi was just there. In fact, I was less interested in Bushi than I was in Watto. That's kind of where I'm at with him in this tournament. Um, the only thing with him that bothered me was that they had him go over L. Lindemann. And sure, it's fine. It's tournament. Lots of guys beat other people. But I don't know. I just feel like Bushi sucked and L. Lindemann was fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> 
Yeah, I feel like Bushi beat a, a lot of people he probably shouldn't have beat in this tournament. Like, he he beat Robbie Eagles. He beat Desperado. He beat Lindemann. Like, this guy was yeah getting some huge... He's almost like kind of Kanemaru, where Kanemaru got these kind of big wins. Like, Bushi was getting these big wins out of nowhere. And, again, fine performance. Like, we've been saying from day one, you're, you're going to get the cool masks, the cool suit. Then Bushi's going to Bushi, he's going to do a Bushi Rooney, and then he's either going to win or lose. There's not a lot of substance to a Bushi match. There's never really any kind of stories uh, to kind of follow with him in the tournament. Uh, he's just kind of there. And so, I mean, I'd, I would go, you know, a, a flat C for him as well. Yeah, there's a lot of times where, like, the match is happening, 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 and watching it, just whatever. And then I'm like, is he about to hit the MX? And then he hits it, and I'm like, he fucking win? And then he wins. I'm like, why? Why? You know, at least Ken Amaro was, like, fun and interesting and doing cool stuff. Like, Bushi's just there, you know? Yeah. Like, ha- has there been anyone else that's benefited as much from being part of a cool faction while they themselves just suck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Bushi's uh, definitely uh, cashing in on that LIJ fame. But, I mean... I think he's one of these guys that has to be careful. I, I know that being kind of a New Japan kind of guy, he's going to probably be in these things for a while. But if they ever get to a point where they're bringing in more outsiders or there's more, like, dojo graduates coming up, like, I think he's on the chopping block to lose his spot. Yeah, probably not. But I see what you're saying. It's not outside the realm of possibilities. Um even if he didn't quote unquote lose his spot, he might lose a lot of this preferential, you know, type of like booking where like right now, yeah, he went, you know, what four and five, but he beat a lot of big names. So it kind of saves him. Maybe next time he goes like three and six and doesn't beat such hot names. Right. Yeah. It's going to get a lot harder for him to be continued to book higher. The more, outsiders that get booked more dojo guys that are coming in it's gonna be pretty tough for him it's just like bro we live in a world where el fantasmo's never touched the iwgp junior title but like bushi's a former champion you know what i'm saying yeah (laughs) makes no sense so moving on to the next person teton from cmll teton coming in with eight points also uh, night eight, he defeated, or night eight, he lost to Wheeler, Utah. Night nine, he lost to Master Watto. Then he went on a little streak here. On night 10, he defeated Bushi. On night 11, he defeated Doki. And then on the final night, night 12, he defeated Robbie Eagles and knocked Robbie Eagles out of contention. Yeah, um... Teton is a guy that I was very impressed with during this tournament. Um, I think some of his stronger performances were earlier on in in this group, but, um, you know, a true blue, real, you know, luchador, a guy that um, they talked about how Mima Shimoda has uh, commented on what's been going on with him. And she's like, he's different in this tournament because he's wrestling like the top guy now at this point based on his slotting in cmll and i feel like that did come through to a certain degree but he also was one of these individuals who weren't given a lot of uh main event spots a lot of like match time and i feel like 
he made the most out of his minutes. Most of the matches he were he was in, I mean, he was, you know, a madman doing the double stomps to the outside, flipping, doing all sorts of cool stuff. Plus, like his actual grappling is crisp as fuck. I mean, um, a lot of people are going to give like TJP credit for how good he was at that stuff, and, and no doubt. But I felt like T Tom really wasn't that far off from him whatsoever. Like he's just a, a complete wrestler. But um, the only real gripe I have is I don't feel like he should have been a four and five guy. I feel like he should have maybe been given more of a spotlight, more of a showcase, and that didn't really happen, unfortunately. So, yeah, especially in the, the tournament this year where there weren't any other luchadors. You didn't have a Bandito. There wasn't a Dragon Lee. You didn't have a Volador Junior. I felt that left the door open and put a lot of spotlight on Teton, and like you mentioned. He did have a lot of really good matchups and uh, was pretty dynamic out there. But again, he got an a lot of losses here, four and five in that eight point level. And it's kind of the level that he was at previously over the last time we saw him in 2019. And so the fact that both, I think both set of commentaries, Japanese and English, were pushing this fact that, all right, Teton has kind of upped his game. He's more of a top guy in CMLL. He, um, they didn't mention his championship reign, but, you know, he's a champion. He's one of the top stars in CMLL right now, and he just kind of got treated the same way pretty much that he was treated in 2019. So if they were kind of pushing that narrative, uh, he, should, he should at least got to 10 points and pushed him a little bit stronger. Yeah, and I mean, at the same time, it's not like – I don't want to gripe about it too much because, truth be told, I feel like Volador would end up in the same spot as him anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. But – um. Dragon Lee would, and I'm not saying he's Dragon Lee necessarily. I don't think he should have been, you know, a block finalist, but, you know, I don't think 10 points would have been bad. <laughs> yeah, but like you mentioned, it's like a wild man that um, Tornado DT that he did, like that springboard kind of thing was awesome. Like you mentioned, the double stomps to the outside was absolutely nuts. I don't know how his ankles or legs are just not broken as many times as he did the double stomp to the outside and to the apron and sometimes people would moves and he wouldn't even lay on he was laying on the ground uh but yeah a lot of wild matches a desperado match probably one of the best matches he had uh in this block but again it's a really solid performer night in and night out having some fun matchups um for him i'd have to go b yeah i think uh flat b is fair for him so the next guy with eight points, TJP, the public enemy, on night eight, he defeated Robbie Eagles. Night nine, he defeated Doki. On night 10, he lost to El Phantasmo. On night 11, he defeated Bushi. And then on night 12, he lost to Wheeler, Utah. Everybody knows, you know, TJP, everybody, I mean, he's got a very lengthy career, even for being a guy as young as he is, even still now. He's just, you know, he started so young. He's been everywhere. He's wrestled for such a long time. And, you know, he's a real student of the game and, and you know, uh, a true blue professional. But he doesn't always necessarily impress me to that next level. He's a guy that's like, goes out there and he does his really good wrestling. And I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, it's good. But, you know, I can't remember too many, like, TJP matches where, like, it kicked up to, like, that next gear necessarily. Um, and I don't know that he really did that in this tournament. But there just seemed to be 
an air of importance to what he was doing in this tournament where he came off to me as like the junior ace of the United Empire, not Francesco Akira. Yeah. And he was like the wrestler of this entire block. Not Wheeler Utah, not Teton, not Elindeman. You know, and those are those all the not Robbie Eagles. And all those guys are fantastic and, and very talented. But like TJP like just came off as like a master. And I don't feel like I'm I, I can't remember too many times on this podcast I've called anybody a master. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um just so smooth, so like crisp and like on like it's crazy how good he actually is when he wants to be and he really wanted to be here and like he was impressive again say what you want about the guy in his personal life he i've seen him say and do a lot of idiotic things but when it comes to like his craft like he's second to none man he's really 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 fucking good like this is the highest i've been on him in years yeah, and I think he was probably one of the most versatile wrestlers in this block. Like you mentioned he's a guy that's yeah. been all over the world. He has that experience of Lucha Libre in Mexico. He has that European style. Like, he's done the indie stuff. He has the high flying. He's done the cruiserweight stuff. Like, he's been all over. He has all those different styles. So you throw him in there with a Teton. He can have that Lucha Libre match. You put him in there with a Wheeler, Utah, he can have that Ring of Honor pure style match. Like, no matter who he's matched up against, like, he can pretty much do any style and have a really good match with everybody. And I agree with you. Like, I think he was really on this tournament. Like, he knew it was, like, a big deal for him to be back in Japan. Like we mentioned, the first time in 11 years that he was in this tournament, longest, uh, you know, time period between any tournament um, in Japan. And so it was a big deal to get him back, to be one of the guys chosen from Strong, to be brought over here. I think he made the most of his opportunity, and we're, I think we're definitely going to be seeing more of TJP. Obviously, they're setting things up with him being at Empire, him and Francisco Akira, but, I mean, I would love to see TJP getting a, junior, a single senior title match down the line. Yeah, I'm B-plus on him in this tournament. Yeah, B-plus also. So next up, uh, last guy here with eight points in the B-block, the Glate G-Rex champion L. Lindemann on night eight. He lost to El Fantasmo on night nine. He defeated Wheeler, Utah on night 10. He lost to Robbie Eagles. Night 11, he lost to Master Watto. And then on night 12, he lost to Bushi. For me, everything in this tournament when it comes to Lindemann was leading and building to the Desperado match, which was one of the top matches of the entire tournament and really stand out. Um, and yeah, he got that victory, which was awesome. But once that occurred, um, you know, he didn't get any more main events. He didn't have much more spotlight. He still had great matches, but you look at the, the match times and they're all under 10 minutes for the most part. So it's like, uh, he kind of became a more diminished figure within the story of the block just generally. And then he also became a lot more inconsistent in terms of uh win loss record. I overall though, I was still very, very impressed with L Lindemann in this tournament. I, I was already high on him going into it. And I feel like he really, again, like some of the other guys 
that we talked about, like TJP, Alex Zane, Ace Austin. I feel like he made the most of his opportunity here and had great, you know, showings. And I just, I dug every, I, I loved every match he was in. I, I really dug him in this tournament. Again, the Desperado match being the standout. But uh, yeah, for him, I'm going to go B minus or B plus. Yeah, Lindemann was a ton of fun to watch in this tournament. You know, he, I feel like he's kind of on a kind of a riding a wave of momentum right now. And as far as his popularity in Japan, he's doing a lot of cool stuff with Glate. He's a G-Rex champion. He had that great tile defense. And I feel like when he's in Cork and Hall, you can really just kind of tell that the Japanese crowd there really loved him. And so I feel like he's another guy. Obviously, he's a domestic guy, but I feel like he really elevated his stock by being in this New Japan tournament and um, got over even more. And, again, he's a guy that Liger was interested in and really wanted in this tournament, and you can see why. Um, I agree with the the B-plus grade, and he's, a guy, again, a guy. You had the mix of kind of that Power Junior style. He did the deadlift Germans and the suplexes, but then also you, you got some Lucha Libre. You got the big uh, Tope Conhilos. He was just a ton of fun to watch, ton of energy, and again, another guy that I want to see them keep around. So uh, next up here with 10 points, the Ring of Honor Pure Champion representing the Blackpool Combat Club, Wheeler, Utah. So on night eight, he defeated Teton. On night nine, he lost to L. Lindemann. On night 10, he defeated Master Watto. On night 11, he lost to El Fantasmo. And then on night 12, he defeated TJP. Yeah. Um, Wheeler, Utah, he's a guy that came in with a lot of hype, a lot of expectations. And yet, at the same time, you know, um, even though he comes from AEW slash, you know, their ROH, whatever that's going to be, uh, we're not uninitiated when it comes to Wheeler UW, because we've seen him quite a bit uh, over the past couple of years on New Japan Strong. So it's kind of weird. There's like two kayfabes there. There's like Wheeler Utah, the guy on Strong who like hasn't won that many matches. And it's kind of just been established as like a, a journeyman upcoming wrestler. And then, you know, then there's Blackpool Combat Club, Wheeler Utah, who's like become, you know, under the tutelage of like uh, all these violent and vicious guys and, you know, is now coming into his own and beating people and winning gold and yada, yada. And we really wondered, again, a lot, how the politics with all these different champions, especially him coming from AEW, uh, what this would be. Would, would he, you know, how many losses would he take? And ultimately, you know, he barely got over 500. He's five and four. At the same time, 10 points is very respectable in this block, especially with how parody-based everything is. So, like, he did well. He did really well, but he also lost more than I think maybe we initially were thinking he might lose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I could be wrong here, but I want to say I feel like most of his losses were still, like, pinfall losses, roll-ups, things like that. The only one that sticks out to me where I, where I think he, like, and I, I can't remember exactly, but I feel like he ate the Pinchy Loco to Desperado. But other than that, I think the other losses he had were still, you know, like he got out-wrestled or he got caught and, you know, got pinned. So I, I still feel like he was fairly protected. 
Um, but as far as performance goes, I'm not as high on Wheeler, Utah in this tournament as the other outsiders in this block, or even just generally speaking. But I don't think that he was bad by any means. I think that he's still a young guy. First time in Japan, learning his craft. I mean, he's an outstanding technical wrestler, and he's still improving on the other aspects of his game as well. You know, uh, I mean, we talked about, like, when he first came into New Japan Strong, you had mentioned that you'd seen him on, like, MLW even prior to that, and he wasn't really a technical guy. He was kind of like a your average indie kind of, like, high-flying sort of wrestler, you know, fast-paced offense guy. And he changed every aspect of his game and kind of became a pure wrestler. Now he's got that down packed. He's trying to add other elements to his character and to his game. And I feel like that was on display here. Um, I think the reality is, is, you know, when you compare him to guys like L Lindemann and TJP and Teton, uh, he just doesn't have the same level of experience as those guys. They've been in the game a lot, lot longer. They've been wrestling at a much higher level with varied, you know, um, you know, competitors. So it's, it's a little different. I think he had a good accounting of himself. I think some of the ratings that I saw for his matches were a little, uh, there's definitely a love affair going on when it comes to <laughs> Wheeler, Utah and the fan base. I didn't agree with how, how highly rated, like, for instance, I I wasn't as high on the Desperado or the uh, Robbie Eagles matches as everyone else was when it comes to him. But uh, long and short, I feel like this was a great experience for him. I think it was a good step forward for potentially including other AEW talents in round robins down the line if they do continue to do that. And um, he's he is a guy that I would welcome back to Japan. But I don't think that he, like, carved out that niche where people are clamoring for him to be there again the way that they are for some of these other Gaijin outsiders. Right. He did not get over to the level that Ace Austin or Alex Zane did. And I feel like he was still trying to, like for them, like I felt they know who they were going into sing and they just kind of got over. But for him, I feel yeah. like he was still trying to figure out exactly how his character is going to be, especially like we mentioned last week, he has no regal. There was no Brian Danielson, no John Moxley. So it was just kind of him figuring it out on his own. And that presentation is really different when he doesn't have the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club with him. But um, still a very good wrestler. The, the one thing I really did not like about him in this tournament, his matches, I'm not a fan of his finish. He does, uh, you know, the the elbows, the hammer elbows into the, the seatbelt clutch. To me, that was kind of it's an anti-climactic kind of finish. It's like... I don't know. Just I expect a little bit something. I think he should do something either high impact or he should have like a submission hole for me. Like just the whole just the elbows into the seatbelt thing wasn't. I wasn't digging that. I like it, um, but then again, the seatbelt that seatbelt clutch pinfall something that I've trained in, in Matt's school like extensively. So I popped for it the first time I saw it. Um, like I like it. I, don't I, I think the seatbelt clutch is cool, and I think like. It, in the middle of a match, it could be a cool near fall, or it could be that kind of end of the match kind of wacky roll up. He pulls it out and doesn't get the win. But for that to be your main finish, to be the, your setup into the elbows, into the clutch, I don't know. Well, you know, again, he's a long term project for AEW. 
I I don't put it past them for them to introduce a submission and a high impact finish for him down the road. But for right now, this is his finish. And I think that it's uh, in kayfabe. I think it works because if he was just a guy that came in and was power bombing guys like Wardlow, but he doesn't have the build <laughs> of Wardlow, you know, that might be like a little too much, but to believe that he's like this, uh, a wrestling genius that maybe isn't fully formed yet, but has enough technical acumen to pound a guy out and then roll him up with this, uh, you know, difficult to escape pinfall. I don't know. It works for me. I don't think it really equates for like that magic moment that you're probably like talking about, like a one winged angel sort of, you know, you know, definitive boom, he hits it. Fuck. That's impressive. And yeah, you know, but I'm sure it's coming. It's just not there right now. Right. But overall, I mean, he still had a, a very good tournament, had a lot of good matches. Like you mentioned, did, he did lose a lot more than I thought he was. I thought with that AEW aura in the Blackpool combat club push, I thought maybe they would have had to protect him some more and he was going to get that kind of that Moxley G1 push. But, I mean, he was booked right in line with everybody else. One thing, too, is, like, I think they kind of had to make a decision when it comes to him. It's like, okay... We want to protect him. He's going to eat losses. He's got to eat losses. And so it's like, do you have him beat the bigger names in the tournament, but then be open to losing to lower end guys like Watto and Bushi, people like that? Or do you have him beat the guys that in kayfabe he should be beating and only lose to top end guys that, you know, what is, what's the philosophy of what you want here? And I think for the most part, they went the latter. They decided to have him beat the guys he should be beating in the block and only lose to people like El Fantasmo, Desperado, Eagles. you know, people like Eagles and Lindemann. Those are the four guys that beat him. Those are like, you know, a champion and then the three top block earners. So, you know, I feel like that was also by, you know, done intentionally to sort of protect him in a way. Yeah, and with those losses, too, you, you open up the opportunities for title matches for the ROH Pure title, so we could see something coming up at Forbidden Door. Uh, I think I would go uh, a solid B for Wheeler, Utah. I'd go B-minus mm. on Wheeler, Utah. I'm not as high on his performances, just overall his output, but yeah, I, I think it's still a good grade. All right, let's look now at the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles. He's also at 10 points on night eight. He lost to TJP on night nine. He defeated El Fantasmo on night 10. He defeated El Lindemann on night 11. He defeated El Desperado, which had him in contention on winning the block. Had he won his last matchup here on night 12, he would have won the B block, but he lost to Teton on this last night and got knocked out of contention, ending with 10 points, and not being able to capture the B block here. I love the pinfall that Teton caught him in on that final night. It was a little anticlimactic for how important a match like that should have been. But at the same time, like, I I have to go back and watch that tape and, like, learn that pin so I can, like... (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, I mean, bro, everything I said about, like, TJP being a master, like, Go ahead and apply that 
to Robbie Eagles, but like not just from like the technical standpoint. I'm talking all aspects, high flying, the little things, knowing when to do the, the facials, the the timing, you know, um, the drama, the fire, uh, all the strike exchanges. Like he's just on a, another level, man. And it's kind of funny that there was a time where we ever questioned did he even belong in this division <laughs> with these guys when he first came into this company? Cause it sounds ludicrous now. Um, for me, uh, there's only one other person that in my opinion outperformed Eagles overall for the tournament. I think Robbie Eagles is like my runner up for MVP of the block and the overall super juniors. One thing I'm happy about where he ended up now he didn't end up in the block finals that still has never happened for him unfortunately but like last year and maybe i'm maybe it was the year before i can't remember but there have been times where we've been like okay this guy's established they're gonna like really you know do well with him in the point totals in the tournament and i think every year he still continued to underperform where we thought he should have been yeah, Even I, th- I, th- year, I think it was, I think it was mainly that 2021 where he came kind of low. I think last year, I think he was in the same spot where he, if he had won, he could have potentially won his block. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and I feel like um, with that, that's that's fine. Like it, it still just felt like a diminished tournament a little bit last year, even though he had just come off being the champion and holding the title and everything like that this year in this tournament, not only did he have outstanding matches, but like he was beating like a lot of the top guys, including Desperado, including um, Phantasma, the top two guys in the block. Like, and it started to feel like, Oh shit, they might, you know, go with Robbie Eagles. And beyond that, those two matches in particular, have to be two of the very, very best matches of the entire tournament as it is. Yeah. So, like, I I was blown away by Robbie this year. Yeah, Robbie was awesome. That main event match with El Phantasmo, uh, Night Nine, and Cork and Hall, that match was incredible. Match of the year contender, um, four and three quarters, four and a half, um, big time matchup there. It's a great story and history between those two guys and just the storytelling and the huge spots. Um, we'll talk about Phantasmo, but he was a wild man in that match, and so was Robbie. Some of the risks they took in that matchup there, and then uh, finally Robbie is kind of getting the, the big win once again and kind of being that thorn in the side for El Phantasmo in these tournaments. Uh, Bucky Andrew mentioned Robbie, really great tournament, just um, the high-flying, the technical work. You know, I love the mix that he does there. Uh, where he, you know, he works on the leg to set up the the Ron Miller special, but he doesn't completely abandon the flying. He still does the yeah. the, the cannonball uh, suicida. He does the four fifty. He does a lot of cr- you know cool high flying stuff, and yeah, just really standout performer in this block. Yeah, I was just so impressed. Really, uh, the TJP match was awesome. The yeah. exchanges between those guys was so great, and then. Him and Lineman was awesome. Like you mentioned, obviously, the match of the tournament, the standout, and it's he- like head and shoulders above everything else. Yeah, was nothing that, comes uh, close to it. Nothing com- comes close. The match with El Phantasmo and Cork and Hall, like, 
just considering the history between them and everything, like, uh, for me, that might be the best match either of them have had in New Japan up to this point. Um, I don't know. With ELP, it's tough because there's also that very famous uh, Rocky Romero match from Corkin. And I feel like this match was as good, if not possibly better. That's how good it was. And I mean, like, we're talking, you know, junior match of the year contender, match of the tournament, possible match of the year contender, like, that match really was significant and just fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Robbie almost uh, killed himself trying to do the uh, Star Kit, oh, the yeah. uh, Thunder Kiss uh, 86 splash, and both of them were doing each other's moves. And, like, it was just, dude, it was one of the longest matches of the tournament. And those guys went out there and just had an awesome, awesome main event. Love that matchup. Yeah, for Robbie, I am going A. Minus. I'll I'll go yeah a a minus seems right for uh for Robbie Eagles, yeah really fun tournament. Uh, we did have a question here from Les Commission seven two five two says with Eagles losing to Teton on the final night, could this be the start of a long awaited story for Eagles to regain the IWGP Junior Championship by the end of this year or next year, where he could possibly win the best of Super Junior after failing to go to the finals back-to-back years? Possibly. I mean, I don't know that I see that being laid out, but there's a a lot of time to go, and there's a lot of questions about the remainder of what they're planning to do on this year's calendar, especially with, like, this crossover show coming up and then, you know, G1 and everything. It's kind of – and it being the 50th anniversary and New Japan seemingly – continuing to expand on their outside uh, relationships with Glay and all Japan and Noah. It's, you know, who knows what the future holds, but I will say one thing, nothing is off the table as it pertains to Robbie Eagles. Now that he's won the strap before he can easily do it again. He can easily be the, the, the guy that wins the tournament next year. And with the kind of performances he put in, in this tournament, I mean, why not? Right, I mean, I'll be all down for another Eagles title run. I would love to see him get a really big match at one of the Dome shows um, in, in January. I think he's earned it, and I think you can tell um, some compelling stories with him as either challenger or champion. And I think he's a, a fresh face that could be well-served in the main event scene of the junior division. So moving on to the last two guys in this block who ended up tied with 12 points. Uh, the the runner-up of the B block, the head banger, El Fantasmo. He defeated El Lindemann on night eight, lost Robbie Eagles, like we mentioned, on night nine. Then on night 10, he defeated TJP. Night 11, he defeated Wheeler, Utah. And then he fell to El Desperado on night 12, which was the deciding matchup on who was going to win this block. So Desperado gained the win here in a really good main event, 19 minutes, 37 seconds. So El Desperado going to the finals to face Hiromu Takahashi, ELP, coming up a little short here. Yeah, last year Phantasmo beat Desperado on the final block night, and that's what kind of kept Desperado from being in contention for Super Juniors last year. So this was kind of a redemption on Desperado's part as it pertains to those two guys. But, um, you know, with that match, I just want to say this one thing. 
it was very good. I'm not saying it wasn't good, but they started busting out all these kickouts from major massive moves at the tail end, which got me. Like there were there was a few times where I was like, oh shit, especially at CR2 where he hit Desperado yeah, at CR2. Yeah, I thought, oh crap, ELP won this. <laughs> right. But um I didn't feel like the work leading up to the closing sequence matched the epic nature of the finishes going down the stretch, which I was a little disappointed in because I did think ELP against Despy like had like, uh, you know, classic written all over it and it didn't quite reach those levels, but then the match was still very good. But um, ELP, another standout guy, he is sort of like the, um, the pinnacle right now in this division of how you can be a heel you can be dislikable, you can be detestable and still be entertaining and still not sacrifice the athletic nature of what you're doing. Um, now, one thing I did want to say, I, I've noticed that El Fantasmo's matches, even though he is still like, you know, he's still cheating, the level of shenanigans in his matches has diminished significantly and it seems to be ever since show kind of took on the mantle of being like the cheater in the division, you know what I mean? And like, right. it feels like recently, maybe part of the reason why I'm coming around a little bit more on ELP is because he's having cleaner matches than he did in the past. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think a Kinda, lot, a lot of his shenanigans are held to the first couple of minutes. And then from there on out, he's just straight up wrestling. Right. And even in his, wrestling like he is still like talking junk he's still making remarks he's still doing the scratches and you know the flip you know he's still doing the heelish things throughout the match but he's also having a match and he's still performing and he's still wowing and and all that and there you know so i i think he's the perfect mix of that stuff right now uh to me it's not quite the same, but I mean, like, in the heavyweight division, when you look at a top quote-unquote heel that still wrestles, you got Will Ospreay. In the junior division, you got ELP, and they're kind of similar in that respect at this current time. Um, Phantasmo had some of the best matches of the tournament, um, really turned up in almost every match. There was, def- there was definitely some booking that I didn't love for some of the matches, but overall, I mean, you can't deny how good a tournament he had. My only question is, I understand what they're doing. They're moving forward with Desperado against Hiromu, and that makes a lot of sense. We, we could talk about that. But I was a little disappointed that, I mean, ELP has been with this company for a long time, and they clearly, I mean, they put him at the top of the block. So, I mean, that's that says something. But I was wondering if this was going to be the year where they finally went that way with him. I think with Ishimori being the champion made it, a lot more difficult for that to be the case. But, um, you know, I do wonder, like, is he ever going to win one of these things? Is it going to happen? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I think one but, you know, one difficult thing, too, is, you know, you have this big, you know, Budokan Hall, you know, final show you got to fill up, and so you need a main event that's going to draw. And not saying that Hiromu versus ELP couldn't draw, but we know the history of Hiromu and Desperado. People really love that match. It's kind of this historic rivalry from the the finals from uh, 2020 and people really want to see them mix it up in a finals again. I think that's a, a 
the two top stars in the division, and that's a match that can draw on a short notice for that final show. Um, yeah, had this been that's a good point. Had this been pre-pandemic where New Japan was hot and just kind of selling out on the brand name alone, maybe you could have gone with ELP here against Hiromu or somebody else in the A block. Um, and now, especially with uh, ELP saying he being the drum of wanting to be in G1, you know, maybe this is kind of his swan song for the junior division. And, you know, that they gave him the, the runner-up and with 12 points. And maybe we're going to see him with the heavyweights this summer in July. We're gonna, we, might, we might see him in the G1 post-match. All his promos keeps talking about G1, G1, G1. So I think that's where what's next for Phantasma. Um. My opinion, for what it's worth, I think it would be fine if they include him in a G one. But I mean, he's he would be he wouldn't be graduating. I think for for him to graduate, they need something very significant to occur to warrant his um, graduation to that uh, you know to the heavyweight ranks and really find a foothold there. Because otherwise, if he's just jumping into it's like swimming with sharks and he's not ready for it from a kayfabe standpoint. You know what I mean? Right. Um, like they need to use this next like two months to, uh, I don't know, somehow get maybe mixing the never division or get a big win over a heavyweight to really kind of solidify why he should be in the G one. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm fine with him being in the G one to test the water and then maybe down the line. But like, for me, I don't feel like it feels like when Shingo left the junior division, you know, that felt like a finalized, like, this makes sense. For me, ELP leaving right now doesn't really make sense. I think that he hasn't finished business. I think he needs to be challenging for this title or winning the title or being in one of these super junior finals, something like that, you know, like, or something needs to happen from a character standpoint where it makes sense for him to go up to heavyweight right now. I don't see any of that. Yeah. So uh, what's your grade for ELP? I would go, uh, I'd give him a B. Uh, I think I, I'd go B plus. I could probably go B plus. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of torn between those two. Um, for me, I mean like definitely the Eagles match really stands out. The rest of his performances were strong. I, I, for me, it's still a B. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, overall, yeah, it's a really, really good tournament. So last guy here, the winner of the B block, El Desperado, night eight, he defeated Master Wato. Night nine, lost to Bushi. Night 10, defeated Doki. Night 11, lost to Robbie Eagles, like we mentioned, on night 12. In the block decider, he defeated El Fantasmo. Yeah, I mean... Desperado, he's a guy that like has been the ever since that that match with Hiromu in the finals of the Super Juniors a couple years ago. He's kind of been like the de facto guy in in the division. Like, yes, Hiromu's always been there, and he maybe that's part of why they're doing this is to kind of solidify him. But he's sort of been like the junior division leader, but during a time period where business was down, where COVID was happening and the empty arena stuff and then all the restrictions. And now we're coming to a point where it's very possible we might have uh, chanting and, and 
cheering during this match if it happens. And this could be like the, you know, we wondered back in January why they didn't have a more definitive match uh, at Wrestle Kingdom. Like they, they had a good match. But it didn't feel like the the tail end of the feud. But this feels like it could be really important, really special, going into a final between these two guys again, like we saw in the past. And I can't remember if they've ever done a Super Junior Finals again with the same guys. I don't think that's happened before. So that's if that is the case, that's very much history making. Desperado wasn't the champion in this tournament, but. You could have fooled me. He basically carried himself the entire time as the champion, had the most main events, wrestled for the longest amount of time. Uh, he gave nearly everybody in the block their best match. And when you look at like cage match and grapple ratings, you look at the top matches, his name is littered all over them. Um, I like Desperado. I'm not as high on him as other people are. He doesn't really necessarily do it for me on that level, even though I still like the guy. But there is no denying the consistency of how good he was throughout this tournament and really how he just carried the block, essentially. For that reason, I have to go A. Like, he was the top performer in the entire tournament. And this is the first time in years that anyone has been the top performer in a Super Juniors that wasn't named Hiromu Takahashi. So, Yeah, I'm going to have to go A as well. And a lot of people give Desperado um, a hard time. And we we were a little hard on Desperado also. Um, But I feel like he really turned it up in this tournament. Like you mentioned, um, coming out, he had all the main events and carried himself as a champion. I definitely feel the the level that he's gotten over more to that star level, especially in this last match with ELP. You had a ton of Desperado flags in the crowd and people it seemed like people really wanted or pulling for him to beat ELP and get into the finals. They really wanted to see him and her own mix it up again. I felt like he definitely carried himself as a star. He had great matches. I pretty much, I look, I look at my ratings and he pretty much had a four star match for the most part, almost every time out. Um, yeah, just really good performer MVP of this block of the tournament. Uh, looking forward to seeing the finals. So that wraps up the the ranking review of each wrestler. Got a few questions here, then we'll get our final thoughts on the finals. Uh, so Rambone Slam Pig says, at this point in the tournament, who do you think has raised their stock most by the performance, and who has fallen? Hmm. What do you think? I think somebody who's raised their stock the most. I mean, it's probably going to be. Uh, between Ace Austin and Alex Zane. I mean, both those guys were just kind of, I guess, quote-unquote, mid-card unknown guys, and they left as top uh, guy, top foreigners, top guys that got over super huge and we want to see back in this tournament. Um, stock that has lowered the most, um, I guess it'd probably be between... Maybe Yo and or Taguchi, maybe Show. Those those three. Yeah, those are all uh, contenders. I mean, obviously with Taguchi's historical success in Super Juniors and him being at the very very bottom of the block, that's probably uh, a candidate. But for me, it's Yo. Um, not just based on the point totals, which is part of it, but also the story and and just the 
the matches in general. So as far as like uh, lowest raising of you know uh, the farthest drop, it's got to be Yo, especially since he was also a finalist, a finalist last year. Yeah. Um, as far as raising their stock the most. I would have to say Robbie Eagles. Mm. Um, I mean, I know he's been champion before, but it felt like he was on a different level during this tournament for me. Yeah, he felt like the kind of a Will Ospreay type level performer in this tournament. Yeah. Um, so those would be my answers, I'd say. Kenny Omega Fan 18 asks, what ha- what was the best match? AKA Rich Latta. <laughs> is, is this Rich's burner account? <laughs> this is Rich's burner account. <laughs> uh, he says, what was the best match from each block? So I guess I guess right now we can go probably go our, our top five. Well, um, yeah, so I went and I looked at Grapple and I also looked at Cage Match and they had the same top five matches. And I mean, for me, I think it would have to pretty much, I think it's pretty accurate. So uh, just generally speaking, they've got Phantasmo and Eagles, number one, Desperado and Eagles, number two, Desperado and Lindemann, number three, Hiromu versus Yo, number four, and then Doki versus Desperado as number five. All right. For me, I got... Obviously, Phantasmo and Eagles as number one. Then I got Desperado Eagles number two. I have Francisco Akira and Hiromu at number three. Despi and El Lindemann at four. And then uh, Doki and Despi at five. Yeah, and see, for me, I would definitely agree that Hiromu Yo was the best A-block match. I, I liked that. Not that I didn't like Francesco Akira versus Hiromu. I thought that was very good. I also liked Hiromu and um, Ace Austin quite a bit as well. I thought that was similar. But for me, the, the standout match at A Block was Hiromu versus Yo. And it ended up being a match that was so inconsequential long term. <laughs> yeah. And maybe my Yo bias really took me out of that match. And uh, I don't know. I'm not going to rewatch it, but uh, maybe it was better than what it actually was for me, but for me, uh, Hiromu and Francisco Akira was the standout A-block match. Now, I am looking at Grapple. They've got that match listed 3.77. You always have to give Grapple matches a, a little bit of a boost, you know what I mean? Yeah, a little quarter bump. So they probably bump. have a close to four. A little quarter bump, yeah. Uh, they probably have a close to four, basically, based on that, and it's like the seventh or eighth highest rated match of the tournament. So it's not like they didn't like it. They just didn't like as much as the old match. Yeah. Uh, next question. But for oh. me, everything here, including like Despy Eagles and Despy Lindemann, you're talking about like four to four and a quarter-ish type matches, which are very good. And then, you know, ELP Eagles is somewhere between like four and a half to five stars, depending on your taste, and, and a true classic. And that's the only that's the only match so far in this tournament that really is at that level. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Mark Nato, 1990 says for each of the champions who lost ignoring Ishimori, which opponent would you like to see challenge for a title in the rematch? And he goes out a couple options that he would want to see in junior tag match. He goes out United empire for six or nine exhibition. Hiromu versus Austin, RH pure Eagles versus Utah 
and for the G-Rex, Doki versus El Lindemann. Yeah, so, I mean, um, for the junior titles, I think United Empire makes all the sense in the world for me. Um, I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I don't see any other really teams that stand out. I mean, I'm really curious to see how TJP and Akira are going to work together. Uh, For the X Division title, looking at Ace Austin, um, you know, he lost to Francesco Akira, Hiromu, Taguchi, and Sho. I would easily take the Hiromu match out of all those, especially considering um, all the, like, talk of Hiromu challenging for that belt. So it's kind of there as well, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Hiromu would probably be the most high-profile match. Um, I think the, the Akira match... The rematch with a longer matchup could be a lot of fun. Uh, Wheeler, Utah lost to Desperado, Lindemann, Phantasmo, and Eagles. Um, I think for me, I would probably choose El Lindemann um, because it's a pure, you know, it's a pure title, so we'd have it have to be like a pure style match, and I think that he'd probably fit that mold and be the most interesting of the challengers. Um, I agree with Mark. I would like to, I would let's see Eagles just because I felt like their match, they kind of left some stuff on the table and it was kind of in the middle of the card, I think in a, in a main event position or a semi main event spot for that pure title and pure, pure rules that they could have a real banger. And then um, for Lindemann, he lost to Bushi, Doki, Phantasmo, uh, Watto, and eagles so if you had to see anyone go to glate and challenge for the g-rex title huh that's a tough one because i mean i guess i could say eagles but like i think i'm gonna choose doki yeah i'm gonna agree with uh, you and mark i'm gonna go with doki as well i, I can imagine a, a packed out cork and hall main event doki versus el lindemann the crowd would love that and it would be a big match for glate and, you know, he left one champion out, so why don't we just do it just for fun? Teton is a CMLL world champion right now. He lost to Despi, Lindemann, Phantasmo, Watto, and Yuta Wheeler. Out of those guys, who would you like to see challenge Teton in Arena Mexico for the gold? I would say Desperado because that their match was awesome. And obviously with Desperado, his history, I think you could have a really cool atmosphere in Arena Mexico on, on a Friday night, big main event, horns honking, uh, Teton and Desperado, they would tear it up. I agree with you. However, um, can you imagine El Fantasma in <laughs> Arena Mexico? <laughs> Oh my so I, I think that's the way I'd like to go. Oh my gosh. ELP in Arena Mexico. He would be a menace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Uh and Les Commission 7252 says, is it possible for a junior heavyweight to move up in the heavyweight division but stay in the junior division as well at this current state? I believe this can work for Hiromu, as I believe it did for Prince Devitt in 2013. Hiromu's goal is to have a junior heavyweight main event at Wrestle Kingdom, but still has a desire to compete with the heavyweights. What do you guys think? That's the only real precedence you have is Prince Devitt. And so, yeah, I think that that could work if they, if the company decided they wanted him to do that and they let him do it and they got behind him to do it, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I, I think it would be cool to see, especially with a guy like Karomu, who has kind of become such a huge star and could mix it up with the I mean, we've already seen him starting to mix it up with heavyweights. Um, so I, I think it could work. Just, yeah, it's all on the booking. All right, so that's all the questions there. We gave our top five matches, reviewed all the competitors. So we have the big final show coming up on Friday that will conclude this tournament. The A block winner, Hiromu Takahashi, faces off the B block winner, El Desperado. Young boy, who you think's uh, taking this one? Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be Desperado. I mean, I could be wrong here, of course. But, you know, we've discussed how at the start of this tournament, if they go with Hiromu again, it's almost like a retread, a rehash of similar themes and stories that we've gotten year over year. And I feel like that's just too much. Um, You know, even with like, for instance, recently, Kota Ibushi going back to back to back, you know, so many years consecutively in uh, G1 almost kind of became stale to a certain extent as well. Um, Despy is, has been the guy. He kind of made himself like the uh, kayfabe guy by beating Hiromu earlier this year at Wrestle Kingdom. But that match, even though it was good, it was shorter. It didn't really follow the flow and the history of some of the epic encounters we'd seen, even just from the Super Juniors this past uh, December and definitely from the year prior. So this is kind of a chance for them to do another huge main event, big building, historical moment, generational rivalry between these two guys. And um, I'm expecting for them to really like have an incredible, incredible match. There's a lot of chemistry here. But the main thing too is, um, you know, we wondered why Despy lost the title. Well, I think it's so that he can win it back on another big stage with the the crowd you know behind them and you know it's sort of like that wwe thing with drew mcintyre he won the belt in the empty arena nobody saw it <laughs> we were people were thinking that they were gonna you know wait to crown him in front of crowds and really make him and then they never did it well i think that new japan is trying to crown despy in a major way in front of you know a massive crowd and you know he's got to get past hiromu to really truly establish himself as the premier guy in this uh, division. And if he doesn't, that's another huge heartbreak in the super juniors. He's not, he's never going to get this shot to be in the finals with Hiromu again, uh, more than likely. So this has got to be his defining like moment in, in super junior history. And uh, I think he does it. I think he wins his first one. I think he goes on and beats Ishimori to win the belt back. Uh, Otherwise we're going to get Ishimori and Hiromu, you know, in a return match, which I'm not really too keen on. Yeah, I think the also the booking the direction that makes the most sense is like you said, El Esperado getting the win here. Then he can also get, you know, it's a rematch from Ishimori because Ishimori was the one that beat him. So he gets a rematch. He earns a rematch. And like you said, the, the whole crowd would be behind him and getting the belt from Ishimori. But I think this match is going to be very special for all the reasons you listed, especially if we can get the crowd being allowed to be vocal and cheer again. The atmosphere for this final show could be incredible. And I know we're probably going to see a lot of previews and angles that are going to build up to Dominion. They already announced a lot of the guys will will be on the show. Guys like Jay White and Carl Anderson and 
United Empire guys. So they're bringing in a lot of the heavyweights, a lot of the guys that have matches coming up at Dominion. Uh, they're going to be building to that on the undercard, and then we're going to conclude this big uh, main event here, which obviously, like we mentioned earlier, you know, Hiromu has been championing for this division to get more main events, be the highlight, the spotlight. They will be the spotlight here on this show in Budokan Hall. Big rivalry, big match, a big stakes. This is going to be, this should be a match of the year contender, and I'm expecting Desperado to come out with the big win, like you said, and then we'll get Desperado versus Ishimori June 12th at Dominion. Yeah. So uh, be on the lookout, uh, njpw1972.com. I'm sure they will announce the full card for this final show sometime uh, during the week because uh, that show obviously is coming up on Friday, so they'll probably announce that coming up pretty shortly here uh, for the rest of the card. Then real quick, we'll talk about uh, New Japan Strong. We had night three of the Mutiny Tour this past Saturday. Show opened up with uh, Stray Dog Army, Barrett Brown, Bateman, and Mysterioso defeating Fred Yehi, Kevin Knight, and the DKC. Uh, fun six-man tag up here. They're uh, kind of telling a story between Bateman and uh, Freddie Yehi. So it seems like that rivalry is going to continue on. In the second matchup, we had David Finley defeating Blake Christian at uh, 10 minutes here. Uh, David Finley coming out with the shillelagh. Uh, teased hitting Blake Christian with the shillelagh. Um, in the matchup here. So um, I'm wondering if they're slowly teasing a heel turn for Dave Finley. Uh, not sure what they're doing here, but a good matchup here. And then the main event of the show, we had the United Empire team of Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis, who are accompanied by Aaron Hanare, Great O'Conn, and TJP. They defeated TMDK of Jonah, Shane Hayes, and Bad Dude Tito. This was a really fun main event. Like we saw at Capital Collision, they're really building up these big moments when Jeff Cobb and Jonah get in the ring. It makes me think that we might see both those guys in the same G1 block this year. Um, so really continuing this rivalry with the Empire and TMDK. We know there was another matchup on the collision taping. So I think this is a pretty fun rivalry here. I mean, you have two heel groups, which is kind of weird. But in this matchup, Cobb and Aussie Open were pretty much bay faces. Uh, Aussie Open doing a lot of their cool double team movers and really impressing the, the crowd at the, the Hollywood uh, there in California. And, yeah, they – Really impressed. I'm really excited to see Aussie Open finally get over to Japan. Thought Bad Dude Tito looked good as well. I would love to see Bad Dude Tito in the G1. I think he's a great addition to the strong roster. I did not see this episode. <laughs> man, you didn't have yeah. to out yourself, man. I was going to play it off. <laughs> oh, no. I'm always honest with everybody, except for the times when I lie. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, um, this didn't necessarily look like the most appealing episode anyways, but um, based on your review, maybe I'll go check out that main event. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that's definitely uh, worth a watch here. And then uh, next week will be the conclusion of the Mutiny Tour. So we'll have uh, Kita and Yu Yu Amora taking on Kevin Blackwood and Lucas Riley 
the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels, will be teaming up with the Sauce, Alex Zane, to take on El Phantasmo and Chris Bay. And then in the main event, the Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii, will be taking on Big Demo. There was a, a promo in this week's uh, show from Big Demo calling out Ishii for this uh, main event matchup here. So, uh, I mean, this is, this is uh, make or break, I think, for Big Demo. If he can't have a good match with Ishii, then he needs to get out of here. <laughs> Nice. Well, that's going to do it for uh, New Japan's strong coverage. Let's move on to the news. So uh, the big news story this past week, just after we got done recording last week, there was a a press conference um, with Takaki Kidani and Takami Obari uh, regarding the Kota Ibushi situation. And uh, uh, we actually tweeted out the transcript of that. It's also available to watch on YouTube. So if you haven't seen it, Definitely check it out, but um, just a very brief summary. They kind of um, summed up the issues that had occurred between um, New Japan personnel and Kota Ibushi and uh, apologized on behalf of the company to him and then also kind of gave a brief timeline of some of the interactions that they've had and the meetings they've had with uh, Ibushi following that and that there will be um, punishments handed down appropriately to not just Ibushi, but also uh, other members of like uh, Kukuchi and who they didn't actually name too many individuals specifically, but uh, they did assure that there'd be particular um, maybe replacements or, or reassignments of certain duties and, and roles within the company and things like that. But they assured everybody that um, Ibushi, when he is ready, that he will be, welcomed back that they were not cutting him they weren't firing him he wasn't being suspended anything like that and that they were backing him in his road to recovery physically and then mentally and then the stuff going on with his family um and that they also said that they had cleared and approved everything that they were saying in that press release with him with his like clearance and and approval so everything looked good everything looked gravy it's like okay good we're back on the same page then within minutes like Abushi's like, you guys didn't talk about this. You guys didn't talk about <laughs> this. Here's my issues here. And I, as far as I know, I didn't even look into it. Apparently today he was still like tweeting things. So, you know, uh, we did talk about how last week, um, you know, the, the, how this affected the mental health of his mom and she, uh, you know, attempted to take her own life. And I think a lot of that, and I don't want to speculate too much here, but a lot of that's probably fueling, uh, you know, just the personal uh, aspects of, of this. It kind of goes beyond just pro wrestling, he said, she said sort of stuff. So, um, I, again, I'm, I'm still at, sort of at a loss where we don't have all the inside scoop. I, I, I thought that the company did a good job handling it the way that they did but he didn't seem to be satisfied. I'm not here to say whether that's justified or not, because I I don't know. But um, I think the company is showing a willingness to still try and save and salvage that relationship. You know, in the past, some, like, for instance, when Harold May was here and some of those other, uh, like the, specifically Kenny Omega, but then some of the other talent, like, walked and went to AEW, that was a big, like, deal that he wasn't able to like salvage that relationship and keep that talent. And I think long-term new Japan wants to keep Ibushi and make him happy. But, um, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going. You know, we we know just as much as you guys know, which is that the company seems to think that things are moving forward, and Abushi seems to be upset still. <laughs> yeah, and in that press conference, they did mention there was going to be some kind of penalty or punishment for Abushi doing that JTO appearance. So we have a question here from West Commission seven two five two. My question is, what penalties do you think Ibushi will be faced with, and will it be light or heavy penalties? Well, they said it would probably be a salary reduction, like a fine, um, that they felt was appropriate based on uh, different things, like because he did, uh, you know, he he breached his contract and uh, attended other shows and, and was on screen when it wasn't approved by the office. And then also you know, um, pulling back the curtain and naming personnel and, and things like that, which are not allowed. Uh, that's kind of what they alluded to. So, I mean, I assume that's probably what it would be based on their comments. Yeah. Then Hawaiian Punch BV says, now that Ibushi has bad-mouthed a TV Asahi executive, is his termination coming soon? And then how would a hypothetical Ibushi and MJF for Sasha Banks and Naomi match go? Um, is that something that he did on top of all this recently? He, he said something negative. I guess so. I've, I haven't seen his tweets today, so he must have tweeted that out today, I guess. Yeah. And I, it's hard. the reason I don't follow it entirely is again, because once the translations start coming out, I was like, this is so hard to understand for all the reasons we mentioned last week where I'm like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a an Ibushi MJF for Sasha and Naomi match um, would be very weird. <laughs> yeah, super weird. Um, yeah, I can't understand the. I'm looking at these tweets. Like he's been tweeting. He tweeted today, and then who knows? I don't know. In the last four days, he's had quite a few tweets. So I couldn't say. I don't know. I'm sure, it won't improve things. Yeah, uh, I don't. Well, who knows? Maybe we can hope for the best. I don't know. Um, Great O'Conn and Jeff Cobb. They invaded Dynamite this past Wednesday night. They attacked FTR and Rapongi Vice uh, on the episode, uh, which was, uh, I didn't expect that. I was marking out pretty hard. I'm sure you probably were too. Yeah, that was a big shock. I jumped up. I was like, oh, Con and Cobb are here. It was, it was awesome seeing those guys on Dynamite. Hawaiian Punch BB asked, have you guys ever had as much fun in Vegas as Great Ocon did in Vegas? I've never been to Vegas, but I don't know that I've ever had as much fun in my life as Great Ocon seems to be just from the pictures and videos I've seen. Yeah, I have not been to Vegas either, but uh, Great Ocon seemed to be living his best life and really took in all that Vegas had to offer. He might have, he took some in, he gave some out, he did a lot, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> New Japan has also announced the first match for the ignition taping for Strong in Los Angeles on June 19th. In tag team action, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Yuya Uemura will face Bull Club's Jay White and Hikaleo. Um, there's also going to be a meet and greet coming up on June 9th. Tamatanga will be online uh, for that meet and greet, so you can join that. Um, this coming Thursday on Axis, Okada versus Naito, the Dantaku title action, that will be uh, aired at 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock Central. Um, this week's free Monday match of the week, Hiromu Takahashi versus Yo from last year's Best of the Super Junior Finals. 
some other things that are not listed here um, in the news. There was something going on with uh, uh, I saw Shingo like showed up in All Japan and like was facing off with I believe like Jake Lee. Mm, yeah. Um, I don't know what's I, I have to look more into that. I don't know what was going on there, but I know Jake Lee's been angling to get into the G1, so who knows? And then um, Yuji Nagata was on that show, and he apparently joined a group called Evolution. I know this sounds trolly, like I'm doing a bit. I'm absolutely <laughs> not. This is not the, the evolution of the early 2000s in WWF that we were referring to. This is some other group in All Japan called Evolution. I saw... Um, uh, Hikaru Sato was like in this group, so I don't know what the deal is, but apparently, like, you know, it's weird. You know, Nagata's over in All Japan joining groups. You got uh, Kojima challenging for titles, and Noah. I'm starting to wonder, like, are these are these dads going away? Like, what's going on? Yeah, like the boards open back up. Foreigners are coming in. Like, nah, man, we we gotta get out of here. We got <laughs> we gotta find a way to be on top. And for this Evolution group, you know. I, what I need for this group, I need a Japanese version of Evolution. You know, back <laughs> back in the day, you would have like you know, Big Boss Man. He would go to Japan. There'd be a Japanese person singing Hard Times. Well, we need somebody, a Japanese artist, singing Evolution. Nice, I, I'm all for it. <laughs> but that is going to do it for this week's news. We can jump over to the questions and then uh, close the show out. Yeah. So uh, Joel Core two hundred four says, "Loving this year, especially with juniors, but the finals seems kind of academic at this point." Uh, now that Double or Nothing is over, I would love to hear the Forbidden Door matches that you would like to see. Uh, man, you know, for me, I think as the time comes, uh, we're going to give a more, like, insightful Forbidden Door, like, preview type of show down the line. I, I haven't really been giving too much thought to it. The one thing I will tell you, and this is going to go against what I've said in the past, there's almost nobody in this company I really want to see wrestle CM Punk. Mm. And uh, there was a time where I was excited to see CM Punk wrestle in this company, but um, I just don't think he's that good anymore. <laughs> um, I think he's, I think he's like regained his form, but wrestling is so far past what it was in 2013. I don't think he's up to the working standard of the vast majority of the guys in AEW. And I sure don't think he's up to the working standard of the vast majority of the top end guys in um, New Japan. But he's the champion there now, so someone from New Japan's probably going to do a job to him. I'm guessing it's probably Tanahashi. He's the only person I can think of that's got a big enough name that can eat the pinfall and be like good afterwards right now. But yeah, I mean, and uh, and also work the style that like Punk is going to want to work. Yeah. Unless you go Osprey to, you know, try and help get a phenomenal match and you could continue to do a storyline where he gets screwed out of that match. You could do that, but then it's like he lost to uh, Moxley. Now he's losing to Punk. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good look, but maybe that could fit in his, his arching storyline, possibly, yeah. Yeah, um, and we'll talk about some more Forbidden Store stuff as it comes, but um, there was uh, some breaking news here uh, a few minutes ago from... Tony Khan, so uh, Jeff Hardy and Adam Cole, they are injured and got to pick replacement partners for the 10-man tag that's happening. So on the Bayface side, Darby Allen will be taking Jeff Hardy's spot. And then on the Bullet Club Elite side, Hikaleo will be taking 
Adam Cole spot. So Hikaleo will be teaming with oh. the Young Bucks and Red Dragon. See, I was like, why are you telling me this? This is not <laughs> relevant to what we're doing in any way. <laughs> um, you know, both both companies have such like huge rosters, and I don't know what to expect from this show. Um, I know people want us to like dive into the Forbidden Door stuff, but like, I, I don't know. They, yeah. they, I wish they would do more building, and maybe they're going to start now. But so far, there there's very little for me to be like, oh, I can't wait to see it because. Or to even speculate because there's been so little meaningful interaction between the two companies, really. Right. And also, I think I've been trying not to get my hopes up and, you know, saying, you know, Okada Omega and, you know, booking every big dream match, knowing that it's probably not going to happen. So, um, let's do this because this is just more realistic. I mean, they initially, the rumor was that it was going to be Punk versus Okada. I'm assuming Okada. Uh, you know, regains retains his title against Jay White. Now that Punk's the champion, and that was the rumored match, I am concerned that this means that, like, because I've already said this in the past, and we'll do our preview show, I think, next week, but, like, I've said in the past that, like, Jay White has the best shot of dethroning Okada prior to G1 out of anybody on the roster. I am nervous that Okada loses to jay white and then has to turn around and job to cm punk and if that happens i'll be fucking furious (laughs) like you you have no idea um but let's just assume that that's probably not a likely outcome who would because those are the only two things i can guarantee are going to happen we're probably going to see a uh punk match we're probably going to see a okada title defense who would you like to see those two guys defend their titles against on that show from the other roster. So if they're not facing each other, I think for, I mean, if they do face each other and they're both champion, it's probably going to be a fuck finish and that's not ideal. Yeah. Um, I think CM Punk, I think like you mentioned Tanahashi would, would probably be the, probably the best option. Cause he's a, a guy that can work down to CM Punk's level and still have a really fun matchup. I think Jay White, if he loses another interesting guy that could face CM Punk, I feel like Jay style could mesh with punks and they could have a really great match. And then already coming off a loss, I think punk could beat him and it'd be okay. That's um, true. Um, for Okada, um, I think John Moxley is probably a great match. That's a match that uh, has been protected so far. They haven't done that yet. Uh, I think that mm. could be a lot of fun. Um, Brian Danielson, uh, would be a great matchup for Okada. Oh, that's like that's what I want. <laughs> yeah, I think those those are probably my my top two currently healthy active AW guys. I think Matt Seidel should get a title shot uh, against Despy. No, against Okada. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. Yeah. No. Next question. Uh, Les Commission 7252 Do you guys think that Hiroshi Tanahashi Will challenge Okada For the IWGP World Championship This year Before Wrestle Kingdom 17 The story can be similar with Naito With Tanahashi trying to find that one Last Wrestle Kingdom main event Um I, I don't think they should do that I mean they could but it's just I feel like at this point it would be going to the well one too many times, especially with Tanahashi coming off so many losses. 
and not necessarily looking his best. Like I'm almost at the point where I'm like, leave the memories alone. You know what I mean? Right. It's like we've, I think they've already done it one more too many than they've already done it. I think at this point it's like, it was a great rivalry. I say that's like in case of emergency, like, you know, somebody like Naito gets hurt, whoever gets hurt, you call Tanahashi, but in the meantime, I think, like, let's just leave the rivalry where it's at and enjoy the memories. Right. Uh, Hayabusa5595 uh, says, I noticed that wrestlers' trunks are getting skimpier, and the crowd is now almost entirely females. Is this a calculated decision from management? Wear less clothing. And how common are wrestler hookups with the fans in Japan? What? <laughs> what? No. What? Who's who's getting skimpier? Uh, I mean, I'll be talking about Taguchi. I mean, he, we're, we're seeing more and more of Taguchi, but I mean, to me, I feel like the we haven't seen any trunks have been normal. I mean, New Japan's artist has always been more females, so I, I I don't think that the audience is almost entirely female. Like this is this is a gross uh, allegation against you know. The king of sports, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, I'm not going to dignify with, with. I'm not going to answer. Also, wrestler hook, wrestlers hooking up with fans is probably extremely prevalent in in all of the world, no matter where it is, whether it's you know Birmingham or Tokyo. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He also asked. In addition, many of the crew, including the Young Lions, are looking quite jacked, and the guys with natural-looking physiques are in the minority. What has been NJPW's attitudes towards the juice? And is the NJPW becoming one where you have to be on the gas to get a push? What? <laughs> what are these questions? These are terrible questions. I don't usually bury the question asker. I mean, we want you guys to ask questions, but what the fuck? Bro, have you ever seen someone that's on steroids? The, the guys? Not in New Japan. Can, you couldn't, you can't tell me that the dudes... Maybe we're getting trolled here. Are like is are these real questions? Or are we getting trolled? I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't know. We could be getting trolled. Okay. What I will say is this: the young lions do not look like gentlemen that are on the gas. They just look like athletes. athletes. <laughs> they just look. They look like regular athletes. Katsuya Kitamura was a guy who looked like he was on the gas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> do I think that there's probably uh, a chance that there's individuals that are using steroids in wrestling? Yeah, in New Japan, probably. I mean, what I don't know what their attitude is towards it um, or, or anything like that. I don't know if they're, like, testing. They probably, who knows, probably not because I'm just guessing. But, I mean, historically speaking, like, based off what I know of, like, MMA, they never tested for it in any like fight promotion. So, but I mean, dude, I don't know. You look at some of the top stars, Okada, Naito, you know, Shibata, those don't look like dudes who were on steroids, you know, not at all. <laughs> like being a body guy has never been a big deal in Japan like that, like at all. So, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Rambo and Slam Pig asked, do you expect a surprise AEW star to show up at the finals to set up a Forbidden Door match? Who would you most like to see have a match against a top junior from NJPW? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm hoping 
that there will be some sort of crossover of some sort, you know, whether they actually show up, whether it's a video, whether it's an angle, I don't know, but you know, time is running out. Um, we're like a month away and we don't have anything really established. What? We're less than a month away, huh? Um, yeah. Cause it's June 26th is the forbidden door. Yeah. So, um, I hope they do something quick, but, um, I think most of the angles will probably happen at Dominion. Or just over in AEW in general. Yeah. Um, but if there's someone from... Um, it, for me, if, if I had to pick just like one guy from um, AEW to have a, a top match with a junior, it's probably going to be Ray Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, for me, I would say Darby. I, I want Darby versus Oromu. Yeah, I love Darby. I mean, bro, they've got so many guys that like are technically juniors that are incredible over in AEW. So, yeah. Then, uh, last question here from Hawaiian Punch BV: Thoughts on George Cambosos Jr. versus Devin Haney this weekend? Yeah, I'm glad that we're getting fight questions again. I think we had a few weeks where we were really busy and we had to bypass some of them, and then they kind of became outdated by the time we got around to like answering questions. Real quick, I just got to do this. I've been wanting to do it for a while now, and I keep forgetting. I told everybody that listens to this podcast that Canelo Alvarez would get his ass kicked if he ever beat, if he ever fought Dimitri uh, Bivol, and he did, and like he really did. And I, I never got the praise or the adulation or my flowers. <laughs> so anybody that listens to this, and I didn't just say it once; I said it like a lot of times on multiple episodes, unprompted. Like, if Canelo goes up to light heavyweight again and fights one of those Russian dudes, he's going to get beat. And that's exactly what happened. So maybe you guys should listen to your boy. I don't know. Um, George Cambosos versus Devin Haney is a very, very uh, interesting fight. I don't really know who I've got. I mean, Cambosos is like, got the heart of a lion. He showed that in his... Uh, you know, title-winning effort in his last fight. Um, why am I forgetting names? Who did he beat for the title? <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's late, so I'm like, the guy that beat Loma for the title, they had, like, a fight-of-the-year contender. I'm, I don't know why. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, but Devin Haney is, like, a premium top talent, and the one knock on him has been uh, – that he hasn't fought top guys, but a lot of it's because a lot of them have avoided him at this point. So the fact that we're getting this fight is pretty awesome. Um, I do wish we could have got the Lomachenko versus Cambosos fight, but you know, this is maybe better in a way because I think we're getting either a, you know, multi-unified or undisputed champion. Um, I think I'm taking Devin Haney on this one. It, it's a tough call. I don't really know. It's like a 50-50 pick fight, so, I mean, I could be wrong, but um, Devin Haney is, like, pretty pretty awesome. So, you know, who knows? It'll probably be a really good fight. Nice. Well, let's uh, conclude real quick with recommended match of the week. So, last week, uh, I had the recommended match, and I picked the Invasion Attack 2015 junior title match between Kenny Omega and Mascot Arata. What do you think about this one, young boy? Yeah, so I watched this just before we recorded. Uh, not a super long match, just under 13 minutes, which was a, a nice, you know, change of pace. Um, this is K- 
Kenny Omega when he's still the cleaner, he's still in the middle of this junior run. Um, very interesting, like from a historical perspective at this point, considering where both of their like career trajectories went following this. And um, before the match started, you know, Mascara Dorada came in with all the support from all the like Hontai juniors, you know, Alex Shelley's there and, uh, you know, the time splitters and all, all sorts of people, you know, all these like baby faces because Kenny Omega's running roughshod over the, over the whole division. And he's just out there with uh, Tamatanga. And uh, the match was interesting. It wasn't, it was definitely enter- entertaining. Um, the crowd wasn't like super high on it, but they, they were popping for some of the big moves. Dorada did some pretty impressive things here. Um, Kenny kind of wrestled with a big man offense. You know, he didn't rely too much on his athleticism and things like that, but, you know, he was doing the kind of things that you'd see, like body press slams and stuff like that. He was selling a lot, really feeding into a lot of the um, Lucha Libre aspects of Dorada's game, which was cool. Um, But at the very end of the match, I mean, Dorada – Looked like he had the match maybe potentially won. He showboated, which was a mistake. It created an opening where Kenny hit him with the Dragon Rush, hit him with the fucking V-trigger, puts him up one-winged angel, just beats him clean. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he got this guy out of here. I thought it was a, a good match, not necessarily like a truly great match, but it was definitely still, I mean, I'd probably go like, three and three, three and a half, three and three quarters under, you know, just over 12 minutes. And I mean, it's inoffensive. And this is the same night that Kenny um, interferes in Kota Bushi's world title match with AJ Styles, you know, setting off. So it's pretty historic. So mm. if you haven't seen it, I, I mean, I'd, I'd recommend it. Nice. Then for the excursion match of the week, you picked Josh Alexander, the walking weapon, the impact world champion, Versus a stone pit bull, Tomohiro Ishii from Impact Under Siege. And I watched that just before we recorded. And this was a awesome matchup. Um, I was a little surprised that the Impact fan base was so into Ishii. I guess it's, it's a surprise, but not really a surprise. But um, they're really behind Ishii in this match more so than Josh Alexander. Big stone pit bull chance, big Ishii chance all throughout the match. And, I mean, this is your awesome Ishii main event style matchup. Uh, big strikes, big suplexes, Ishii no-selling and firing up. Josh Alexander looked awesome here. He's a guy that I definitely want to see them bring into the G1, and we've seen him on strong, and uh, these guys had a great back-and-forth matchup. Josh Alexander was killing him with the German suplexes, but uh, Ishii was firing up, and I know that I already knew the result of this match, obviously, before, but, like, Ishii was just getting so many near falls and firing up, I'm like, they should have flipped the belt. Like, they should have put the belt on Ishii. <laughs> the, the crowd was hot for him. He was getting these great near falls. Like, it would have been a perfect win for him. But, obviously, Josh Alexander uh, retained. Um, really fun matchup. This matchup is on New Japan World. I'm going, like, four and a half on this. Um, Awesome. Yeah. I still have to check that match out myself, to be honest. But, uh I've got it on my list. Now that Super Juniors is ending, that opens up a little bit of time to like catch up on a few things. Yeah. Um, now, one thing I got to tell you here, and this is probably my mistake. I should have looked. I should have looked at the uh, rundown. You've got an excursion match of the week listed, and I've already watched it. Hmm. So I don't know what you want to do with that. Well, I mean, you haven't given your thoughts on it though. I haven't. Uh, 
So that's fine. I can do that next week if that's what you like, unless you want to pick something else. Uh, I'll just go with that, and you, you just give your, your thought. I I haven't seen the matchup yet, so uh, I can't. Gotcha. I, I, okay. need to, I need to watch it too, but yeah, you, you can share your review on it. So uh, my pick was Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kento Miyahara versus Jake Lee and Tai Chi from the Corican Hall 60th Anniversary Festival. Nice. Uh, my match of the week, recommended match of the week, is from February 10th, 1983, New Japan Pro Wrestling. It is a tag team match between Grand Hamada and Kuniaki Kobayashi taking on Kentaro Hoshino and the original Tiger Mask. And um, let me tell you guys, if you've never seen this match, first off, this match is very hard to find and uh, very recently became the, uh, a link a link to it that's widely available is now up online. We'll share that link. So if you guys want to check it out um, and for my money, this is the fastest paced or one of the fastest paced uh, tag team matches from the eighties that I've ever seen. It almost feels like a prototypical, like the prototype for like what dragon gate matches would become. Nice. Like this is, this is like Lucha Rezu, but in, 1982 um so if you've never seen it i give it a high high recommendation this match fucking rules definitely looking forward to checking that out well that's going to wrap things up for us here this week next week we'll be back to review the best of the super junior 29 finals and preview dominion so if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are facebook.com slash social suplex. On Instagram, we are at SocialSuplex. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Eye, just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out our Discord server, Social Suplex Podcast Network. And check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. And the Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiba. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.